Hi there, this is Erin Nicole, and you're listening to the Move Happy Movement podcast. On this show, I interview people from all over the world. Sometimes I do sermons from the divine. In our household, we worship the Holy Trinity, Father of all of us, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's really neat when he, he tells me in random parts of the day, I never know when he's going to give me a specific topic. He tells me the exact name, and he tells me when to record it, and also when to release it to you, because he leads my life, and uh, I'm grateful for that. Sometimes I share music with you that I create, or is uh, songs that are tied into the topic, or the Lord brings to my memory to allow you to see a little bit about my personality, because he also has his own personality, and he's a good, good father, and he loves you. He loves you deeply, and he gifted me freedom, freedom from depressions, evil powers after 18 years of struggling by myself uh, with the worst of the worst uh, self-harm thoughts. Not every day, right? You go through tough seasons. I was attacked for 18 years from spiritual warfare, from spiritual realm. And he's been training me up. He's been preparing me for this position my whole life. I am your global ambassador of mental health. And my husband has that same title with me because we share everything. And uh, we also are your chief spiritual officers of America. We're bringing God back into America. And being... Americans, we love the freedoms that we have, the freedom to choose whatever faith system we choose. That is what all of the military have fought wars to keep us separated from the tyranny of England and the tyranny of slavery. And as I was reviewing and eating dinner, I was reviewing a previous episode few episodes actually I've been reviewing that I recorded because I, I review because I'm a team of one right now. I've been blocked from making money in, in America for three years because of this contest. And I'm about to sign official paperwork with all the presidents. We got 28 days. All the first ladies that are alive today. Some of them I've heard rumors have been taken care of. What's that father? He says to sing the French anthem. I don't remember all the words, but the national anthem. Uh, we learned it in my French class in high school. Uh, and if you know the words in the translation, they actually sing about the guillotines chopping the heads off of people that were traitors. Yeah. You might think the French are a little sissies, but I know they're not. <laughs> in any case. The topic of the sermon is called New Beginnings. I don't know where he's going to take it, but he definitely takes it wherever he desires it to go. So, Father, guide this. Guide this sermon. I have no idea what you want me to talk about first. There are so many things I could take this in any direction. Guide it. Okay. He says, I want you to talk about the freedoms you had getting in to graduate school. <clears throat> so before graduate school, 
I had just gotten my degree, and it was a really weird time to get a bachelor's degree, December of 2008. So if you remember back then how terrible the economy was in America and around the world, I imagine, maybe it was good for some, it wasn't good for the middle class. There were no jobs. And it was in the middle of a school year. I got my degree in health and fitness, K through 12, certified teacher. I had to pay a tuition to teach full-time my last semester at uh, elementary, which was a very positive experience because he allowed me to grow and we did a cool uh, free family therapy program for them after school, a little contest. And then I had a high school. I only got to teach two lessons and I had to pay a full tuition to Pacific Lutheran University to work. They forced me into slavery. Yeah, that's the truth. Student loans. Forced me to take student loans because they estimated my parents could afford to help, even though I was a legal adult. It is what it is. I'm not alone. There are lots and lots of families that have been forced into slavery that they call college education. It is what it is. <clears throat> so, spring 2009, I ended up getting an emergency uh, substitute position. I was hired for out in a very small country school district. They had the elementary right down the road. There was one light. It was a very small little country town called Rainier, Washington. The middle school and the high school shared the gymnasium. They were butted up right next to each other. They had an athletic program. The high school students were mentors to the middle school students. I was the emergency teacher for middle school mathematics. I was not endorsed in mathematics. They broke the rules of the No Child Left Behind Act because no teachers were applying for this position. It was halfway through the school year from the end of March, or the beginning of March. It was March 5th, I remember, because it was right around my dad's birthday. And I remember it was a snowy day, and there was a two-hour delay on my first day there. But I got there two hours early because I was eager, and I was grateful for a full-time job in my degree. Now, I was terrified to teach math, but I used my resources, and I asked my roommate, Kyle, who I used to work at the gas station in Albertsons. He was very good in mathematics. He was a journeyman electrician in the... Uh, like home space and whatnot. He had a couple of jobs. He was a hard-working man. He and Autumn, we all three worked together at one point. They fell in love. They bought a house. They needed us. They needed some help to offset their mortgage. They just bought it. So I was their roommate, and I asked him. I said, hey, I just got this job. I'm excited, but I'm nervous. I struggled. I had a mental health breakdown when I was 14. My math teacher got cancer, and he left, and the student teacher didn't know what she was doing. And here I am. <laughs> Their teacher had cancer. He was 32 years old, and it was his third bout. And he missed every other day of school. They needed someone to just show up. That's what the principal told me. I said, they need help, but I don't even know where to start. He said, okay, here's the problem. They have to pass the WASL. It's the Washington Essential Academic Learning Assessment or something like that. It's a state standardized test that uh, all the housing market is based on. Your prices of your houses is based on the grades in the schools and the students. It should be illegal, but it is what it is. So he said, the problem is they missed half the year. So you need to figure out what they missed, 
what they don't know, and you need to teach them the information to help them pass the test because they were required, I believe, the state law stated that they had, some of my students had to pass the test in order to go to the next grade. So this was very important to the, the families in that community. So he said, you need to figure out what they know, what they don't know, and only teach them the information that they aren't confident in. Teach them to the test. So I was like, all right, that sounds good. So I, there weren't any assessments. I created my own mathematics, middle school mathematics assessment questionnaire. I told the students, I spent hours outside of work hours to make sure I took good care of them because I was grateful for a job in a bad economy. I've always done above and beyond the expectations because I do my work into the Lord. And um, I did the job. It was one of my favorite teaching experiences. These kids were so sweet. The worst behavior they had was they talked too much in the classroom. I grew up in the hood, okay? I grew up in an area where a gun was put to my babysitter's forehead when I think I was like 10 years old or 9 years old, something like that, and I was peeking through the blinds. And I heard about it, and I seen all the violence, and I heard the adults talking about it. She got a gun pulled on her head because she yelled at the gang members that ran the neighborhood and told them to keep their music down. Now, I could handle some kids that were talking too much in the classroom. I, I, uh, they asked us teachers to be dance hall monitors during the little country dance where the, the girls were running around and the boys were chasing them. That was, that was their dance. Was, they were little kids. They were acting like little children, innocent little kids, and they were in middle school. When I was in middle school, oh, the ladies were bumping and grinding like Destiny's Child, in Vogue, Monica, Brandy, all those hip-hop, R&B, because that's the kind of music that was played in the neighborhood, and that's the kind of students that I grew up around, the kind of kids. Lots of teenage pregnancies, all kinds of things. This is what I grew up around. I could handle some kids that were running around and being silly little kids being talkative. It was, it was one of my favorite experiences. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't get asked to come back, not because I did a bad job. I did a great job, but their teacher... He was better. So he was coming back to teach the following year. So I was like, well, good for him. That was awesome. So I was applying for jobs and I was doing this and that. And my students added me to the yearbook. I said, you want me in the yearbook? They said, of course, you're, the fa- you're our favorite teacher, Miss Erin. I think they called me Miss Rice because uh, that was my main name back then. Yeah, they called me Miss Rice. And I was like, Wow, all right. Well, I was just silly. I worked there 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. They didn't require me to. I told the students, I said, you missed a lot. Your teacher's sick. I'm your stability. If you need help, come in before school. If you need help, come after school every day. I didn't ask for any extra pay. I said, I want you to know if you need extra help, I'm here for you. I said, I'm not an expert in mathematics, but here's what I learned. The same mathematics in my junior high training, which is the same thing as middle school, only it was 7th through ninth grade. I said, I paid $3,000 per semester class at PLU for the same exact information you're going to learn right now. So do you want to learn it right now or do you, know, do you want to wait and then pay $3,000? And they were like, we want to learn it right now. I said, see, money motivates. You just got to learn how to talk to people. So 
it was what it was. Um, I had no jobs. I was applying for jobs. And actually, it was uh, Mike Sandner, actually, from the Bethel School District. He reached out to me. I just started dating. <clears throat> Say his name, Father? He says, yep, Matt McMaster. That was my first husband. We were dating. And uh, he was uh, one of the OGPE teachers. He taught, kind of weird, he taught some of my friends from junior high when they were in elementary school, PE. He was an older dude. I liked older guys. They're, they're wise. They're smart. And I like to be taken care of. I like to be known that I can be taken care of. Financial stability, because that's what my mom showed me. Because she took care of the house. She took care of the children. I like that old school traditional mindset, but that's not what happened. But it is what it is. I learned a lot from that relationship. And I think he probably spoke to Mike Sanders. Mike was like, oh, you're dating Erin, huh? I've known her <laughs> since high school. Because she was in the music company with Mr. Gross. Very small circle. Very small circle. Mike hired all the specialists for the school district. So he calls me up. He says, hey, we got a part-time teaching opportunity. I know it's not full-time, but it's part-time at an elementary school. It was a couple days before the start of the school year. You interested? I said, well, tell me more about the situation. He said, it's uh, it's point, I think it was point six, FTE, or it was point five, something like that. And then uh, point one at another school, half a day, waste of gas for the other school. But this school was good. One of my friends from junior high choir that I sang in high school with, her dad taught at the elementary, so I knew somebody there, and it had a great leader. Our principal was great. I can't remember his name, but he was really good. He had us do this activity before the school year started, because I accepted the position, by the way. I don't know if you could tell that. I accepted the position. It was K through 6th grade, and uh, smaller school, and before the school year started, we had, uh, I think it was called a LID day, learning improvement day for all the teachers and the principal. He had us do this activity in the gym. He said, I want you to arrange yourselves, uh, first year teachers, zero years experience down here, and veteran teachers that have had, you know, 20, 30 years experience down here. I want you to arrange yourselves based on the number of years. So you have to talk to each other. So we arranged ourselves in this like big line of all the teachers of the whole school so we could get to know each other and we could also see our years of experience spread around. And here's what he said, and this is what good leaders do. He said, all right, veteran teachers, you are over here. This is the hat, the, this we're cutting right in the middle. You are considered a veteran teacher. I want you to face. And so then we did face to face where we broke the straight line into two split lines down, right down the middle. And we met the first two people that were right next to each other, they faced each other. The two outer, they faced each other. So we each had someone we were facing. And he said, your job, veteran teachers, is to make sure this person gets mentored this whole year. If they are a brand new teacher, we do not expect them to know everything, to be everything, to do everything, and to be good at their jobs. Expect them to make mistakes. Assume that they are desiring to be better and to be good every day. Give them feedback if they ask for, for help. Be a resource for them. That gave me such a sense of peace as a brand new teacher. It wasn't my first year teaching ever. It was my first year teaching elementary by myself as a contracted 
teacher. I had a continuing contract. But we also had a PEP grant. And uh, I forget what it stands for. It's some lady's name. <clears throat> yeah, it was like a million dollar grant our whole school district had for PE teachers. So all the PE teachers met. And I learned about it when I was student teaching. Because I student taught in the best of schools district. And it was a four, I think a four or five year grant. They had to reapply every year. And Mike Sander was one of the grant writers for the district. So he helped them get the grant. That's why he had the job at the district level because he was a good writer. And um, he had a few different jobs through his career. He's retired now, but I've known him a long time since I was 14 years old. And I'm 37 now, so a long, long time. And uh, every month, all of us PE teachers would meet and train. And we were required to provide data through this, uh, this program. I forget what it was called. It was five-something fitness whatever. So we were required to get height, weight of the kids, push-ups. What else did we do? I think squats or something. Uh, they did the pacer test for cardiorespiratory endurance, which is a, t a timed test and it, the time speeds up and you're supposed to get from cone to cone a certain distance and it speeds up and then you get your number and you write your your pacer number in the little test. And uh, you can measure your progress throughout the year, right? It was our way of connecting actual data to parents and then making recommendations to parents based on BMI standards to help them if their children were obese or overweight or having concerns of being overweight because many of the parents didn't, have that knowledge or if they did have that knowledge they liked to see the numerical data and that was what the grant was providing and it also we were required to submit it to their organization and then it was creating white paper research and whatnot and there were some extra special programs that some of the students were invited to be a part of where they had an accelerometer machine which measures it's not it's similar to a pedometer but an accelerometer takes it to the next level. So pedometer is, it counts your steps. Accelerometer is actually the technology that's within the smart watches that helps you to be able to tell how many calories you've burned because it, it, it um, also includes like heart rate in there. And I think it also includes, uh, there's a, a MET, it's a metabolic, metabolic equivalent. There's different exercises that have different measurements. They call METs. So like walking would be a certain MET number and some cool scientists, you know, they figured out all that stuff. I stay in my lane. I don't pretend to know it all. <clears throat> but I studied a lot of that stuff in graduate school. I haven't gone to graduate school yet in this story. All the teachers, fear, came across our district in one of our meetings. I think it was in January. But it might have been in December. Because we all met every month, all the PE teachers. And we started talking to each other and having communications teachers started getting their RIF notices because it was a bad economy because we had poor leaders that were bought out from people overseas that have been for decades in America. The, the pandemic has been the plans of the enemy for a long time. So it is what it is. I don't, I don't judge people because I've never walked in their shoes, but it did impact my paycheck and it caused fear 
in all of us PE teachers, what they decided amongst themselves that didn't work in our school district because they decided to cut budgets to the education school system, which is at the second to the bottom of the totem pole. Bottom, bottom is mental health psychiatric hospitals. Next level up from there is the school system. And if you didn't have five years experience, if you had 4.99 years of teaching experience or less, you got your RIF notice in the mail from the school district. Everyone in the district was getting RIFed. I didn't get my letter yet, but I knew I heard conversations about it. So I started applying to graduate schools because I knew that you get more money if you have a master's degree. And I thought that that would protect me. New beginnings. Matt and I had moved in right away. He was the first real person I dated after I was raped from a man, a military man, active duty, army ranger in college. When I asked him to wait, I said, I'm under my parents' authority. I would like to wait. I've made this commitment to myself and in my faith system. If you want to date me, please respect that. He said, okay. A week later, he raped me. He didn't respect it. I had the decision. I had the opportunity to ruin this man's career. That's how it was told to me from the officer that I reluctantly called during my finals week where I just wanted to disappear because I was experiencing PTSD after what he had chosen to do. I had the gift of prophecy, and I knew that it was going to happen earlier that day, but I didn't trust my gut. And I, I planned, and I called a friend, and we met for coffee at the Starbucks, and she told me she'd be there for me, and she wasn't. A lot of people fucked up. Pardon my French. It's the truth. So Matt was the first real person that I dated, because there was... There was a lot of promiscuity between that man's rape, which is normal PTSD behavior after someone violates your body. I don't think that it should be acceptable, but that is what the research states. And I'm a scientific woman. New beginnings. He and I had moved in. Things were going great in the Tacoma house. Things were going so great, he desired <clears throat> to buy the biggest house in the neighborhood a mile or two away from where I was raped. I was crying after we visited the house because I realized I had PTSD. I realized the hill we were going down by the Shipwreck Cafe in Lacey, Washington. I said, oh my gosh. And he's like, what? what is wrong? What's going on? I said, that's where I was raped. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And did he not buy the house and listen to me and console me and check in on me? No, he didn't give a fuck about Aaron. He bought the biggest house in the neighborhood. Thinking he would, imp I don't know who he was trying to impress. He caused more stress on me than anybody in my whole life. Be careful who you marry. He and I weren't married though. I didn't value myself. That's what the army ranger did to me. He made me lose my, all my value in myself because he raped me after I asked him to wait he took advantage of me when I was drinking illegal in Washington State 
it's not legal for you to give consent in a democratic state. They teach that, and I learned that in college. I could have put this man in prison and ended his career. That is what the officer told me to not do. What did he do for me? He didn't do shit for me. But the Lord loves to restore and create new beginnings. And I apologize if you're offended by cursing. One of Jesus' disciples had a foul mouth, so it is what it is. I am myself. I'm working on it. The Lord convicts me. I've been through some real life-ish. So everybody was getting their RIF notices in the school district. This is spring of 2009, I think. Yeah, 2010. Spring of 2010, excuse me. And I couldn't bear the thought of taking more student loans out because I could barely pay my student loan debt as it was because there were no jobs, because all the promises of the government were a bunch of lies from thieves that forced us all into slavery. That's the truth. That is the damn truth. Navient, heavily owned by China. We are indentured servants to China. But not for long. Not for long, because so many of them have committed so many felonies in, in the last three years against me. <laughs> and against so many people. Hacking in. Espionage, all kinds of cyber warfare. And the Lord knows all, sees all, and has caught many of you. And the rest of you are going to fall in your own traps. I love people from all nations. But I don't love traitors. And I definitely don't love people that are stealing from American citizens in America using technological devices. And the Lord told me my vision this year, Recibe, I have received, and he said you're going to structureize Telefontaine, structure the phone guy. So, can't wait. Can't wait. So, I knew I couldn't take any more student loans out. But, I didn't know a thing about applying for graduate school because my mom only had a bachelor's degree. And we weren't close with our cousins. I had one cousin that had gotten her master's degree in, I think, social work. Um, she was one of my favorite cousins that I looked up to like a big sis. But we weren't a talkative family. There was this weird, unknown thing where people just didn't talk. We always went to Aunt Patty's house for spaghetti when we were younger. But after Dad died, it was just, I don't know, it was different. And he was alive back then. But there was just strain. As we grew older, when Grandma died, uh, she was the, the matriarch of our family. I think, I don't know, just, it's difficult. It's, it's, it's difficult to stay connected as families. And I, I imagine if you are a Caucasian family, if you are uh, from Western society, if you consider that, uh, we don't tend to live with our intergenerational families as some other um, cultures do. And I love learning from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of places and people and and everything, and sometimes we get to pick our own families through those who we choose to associate with and whatnot, and the Lord sends me friends, sends me real friends, and um, good conversations. I never talked to my mom's brother, ever, growing up. I met him once when I was seven, a family reunion in Illinois. And I told my mom my struggle, my real struggle. And she was prayer team member of the church and 
leading Bible studies and everything. And I said, Mom, I don't, I'm, ba- I'm breathing through a straw here. I can barely pay my bills. She knew. She sent me food. <laughs> she knew I was struggling, but I have a real difficult time asking for help. I've always struggled with asking for help. And so she knows when I need help. And sometimes she just does it for me. I've learned to speak up for myself in the last, you know, umpteen years since first, I think, being diagnosed with depression. I don't even know. The doctor handed me pills when I was 14. Never told me what I had. It is what it is. So she says, well, why don't you call Uncle Rob? I said, well, what am I going to talk to him about? I've never talked to him. She said, well, he had all his schooling paid for. So maybe he can give you some advice. I said, he had all his schooling paid for? Yeah. Well, he did some time in the military, but he also applied for some, like, grants or scholarships or something. I don't know. I don't know what he did. But, you see, we didn't talk to Uncle Rob because Uncle Rob had a, a sailor mouth. <laughs> he wasn't in the Navy, but he had, he had a sailor mouth. And there was just some, some friction between she and he. I didn't know. It was like, that's their story. That's their issues. So I was desperate. So I called Uncle Rob during my lunch break, my 30-minute break in the closet, in the gym. That was my office. If you're a PE teacher, you know what I'm talking about. And I said, I'm so stressed. I'm so stressed. And all of us teachers are going to be laid off. I haven't gotten my letter yet, but I know it's coming. He says, here's what you need to do. And he asked me questions. He said, what did you most enjoy in your undergrad? What class did you most enjoy? Because you're going to have to have a specialty for your master's. I said, well, I really liked my nutrition class. I have a, a passion about that. I said, music. But I can't get a music degree. They won't let me get it without a bachelor's degree. He said, okay, so music's out. So what? You can still do music on the side. I said, yeah, that's true. And I said, I really loved exercise and sports psychology. But I have a lot of student loans, so I was also thinking about getting an endorsement in, math, in middle school mathematics, um, like a master's in education with a specialty of middle school math. I said, I don't like that idea, but they have an incentive because they have a hard time filling those positions that if I taught for a few, I think a few years, like five years or something, then they would, they would waive 17500 off my, my student loan debt. He said, okay, so here, that's an option. He said, if you don't want to take student loan debt out, more debt, he said, don't, don't do it. There's so much free money out there. They just don't want you to know about it. They cause confusion on purpose because they want you to take loans out because it's a business. America is a business and we didn't always have loans back then. So he says, here's what you need to do. You need to decide how far away you're willing to go from home because it's going to be a commitment. You're going to get homesick. So are you okay with being far away from your parents? I said, well, I don't know. I've never even thought about that. He said, so you need to think about that. What's the furthest distance you're willing to go to school for? It's going to be probably two years, maybe three. Look for graduate teaching assistantships or graduate research assistantships. Do not take loans out. There's a lot of money. You are valuable. You have a teaching degree. It is profitable for that business, for the university to use you instead of hiring someone from outside the university because they can use it as a tax write-off because you are a student and it's cheaper for them to hire you with a bachelor's degree than it would be for them if someone had a master's or a PhD teaching the same class. Same information, just taught a different way. They have, they're required to pay more 
people that have more education. So look for schools and only apply to because I was t- I was telling him I didn't have money to apply for for grad school. Like I was beyond broke. <clears throat> and uh, my partner and I had just moved in together, and he was helping me in the first house, the Tacoma house. I didn't have to pay my bills, but then the second house, when he bought this huge house, then all of a sudden I had to pay him rent. Yeah. He was my landlord, not a partner. Everything's about money with him, but it is what it is. I learned a lot in that relationship. I learned some good things and some otherwise things, and that's why he in the past, because the otherwise grew way beyond the good. So I applied I had conversations with the head of the department. There was two heads. There was a man head and there was a lady head. And I spoke to the man head. And he had huge ties to China, huge passion for Chinese research. He didn't think I was ready. He didn't want me. He didn't see my value. But the Lord decided that I was valuable enough and superseded that man's opinion of me. That man that had PhDs that had been featured. Dr. Cardinal in all kinds of research. The Lord said, nope. My child applied to that school. She's going to get into that school. And I'm going to have it covered. They created a position for me. I got accepted. But they initially told me that there wasn't enough students there. So they initially told me that I would have to take $60,000 worth of loans out. So I asked for a deferment. I learned that language because my middle brother had decided to apply for school a couple of times and they asked for a deferment so that he didn't have to pay the application. My parents paid it, I think. The application fees each year to hold his place. Because he decided to pursue music full time and follow his dreams. So I knew that language that I could apply for a deferment. And then they called me and asked what was the reasoning. And they had to check boxes. And there was some, I don't know, federal mandates or I don't, I don't know how it all works. But about a month after that conversation, she asked me, like, what's the reasoning you're asking for a deferment? Is it military? No. Is it pregnancy? No. Is it... I didn't even think they could ask pregnancy, but I think they did. And uh, what, well, what is the reasoning? And then they said financial. I said that one. They said financial. I said, yeah, I don't have money <laughs> to take out more loans. I, ha- I had a job. I just lost my job. And I could barely pay my loans as it is. I can't afford to take more loans out. She said, Okay. We'll hold your place for one year. We'll reconvene. We'll reach back out to you and see if your situation is better. I said, all right, sounds good. About a month later, I got a letter in the mail saying that they had added a bunch of international students. And there was an N2 program they had created. I don't even know if they had it. International program. And my supervisor was going to be Ann Asbell. I got the letter from the dean of the department. You talk about supernatural, new beginnings. That was the Holy Spirit preparing me for a new beginning. And uh, I called the number to the dean's office. I wanted to make sure this wasn't no funny business because (laughs) what I read was they were going to pay my tuition and pay me a monthly stipend. They were going to pay me to teach at the university. Okay. I called. I forget the, the guy's name, the dean. I said, hey, uh, my name's Aaron. I just wanted to make sure I read this letter right. I just got this letter in the mail about this whole graduate teaching assistantship thing. He goes, yeah, what's your question? I said, is this real? Because <laughs> I was reading it to my partner. He called his biological father, Ed. Say his last name, father. Ed Reed, 
Dr. Ed Reed, psychologist of celebrities down in California. He's pro- if he's still alive, he's probably retired now. Um, he was cool. He helped my partner be a better partner to me. Um, he paid a lot of money to find his son. It was a closed adoption case. He paid a lot of money. He didn't want his son to have daddy issues like all these rich celebrities' kids were having that he was providing therapy to. Anyways, he called him. He told him the good news. His wife, Dr. Akashina from Russia. She's, she's a citizen of America now, but I think she has her dual citizenship. Smart lady. She got invited to China to speak at a very big conference. They paid her. They flew her. And Ed went. And they told us about it. Very smart. She was the head of Slavic languages at USC. And uh, we spent a lot of time with them. A lot of time. They were very knowledgeable back then, very knowledgeable about the world, and she predicted, she has spiritual gifts, she predicted the next world war back in, when I was in graduate school, when I got accepted, I think it was in 2010 or 11, somewhere around there. She said the next world war will include China and Russia, but we will be okay. I said, we, as in Americans or Russians, what do you mean? <laughs> She's like, we'll be fine. It will be big. It will be broadcast, but we need to trust and have faith. She had a huge faith in the Creator. A lot of Russians do. What the media doesn't tell you, what uh, President Biden and all the people that have been bought out from the CCP, the deep state, what they don't tell you is that Russia, they have a huge faith system in Christ. Huge. Huge believers over there. I don't know what Putin's belief system is, but I know this smart lady, head of Slavic languages, that was allowed to be in America and paid a lot of money to be flown to China to speak about her research in Slavic languages research and whatnot. They had a translator for her on stage, translating into all kinds of languages. I wasn't there, but she told me about it. Her husband, Ed, super cool guy. Super cool guy. He was so in love with her, so deeply in love with her. And he taught my partner how to be a better loving partner to me. But you can't fix people that don't (laughs) want to change. Anyway, new beginnings. So I started growing more confident as I gained more knowledge, right? Education provides for women to be more knowledgeable and provides for opportunities for us to earn more Income, same thing for men. But women have been discriminated against since the beginning of time. Because we made one mistake, right? Eve made one mistake. (laughs) And, uh, no, there's lots of good out there on both genders and in our trans community. There's lots of good out there and there's lots of evil people everywhere. Choose good. Choose good every day if you can. New beginnings are everywhere. Um, So I had graduate school paid for. I had permission to come back to the school district to, to take a two-year break to finish my master's degree. I got permissions. I did everything in order. I did my part. They gave me permissions in writing. I got a letter. And then in April of 2012, two months before I got my master's degree, I got my RIF notice. They had laid me off again because the economy was still bad in 2012. Very bad. Poor leadership. Poor leadership, but that's all right. Because you can't trust in your government, but what you can trust in is the creator of the universe. And in the scriptures, if you read the scriptures, in Psalms, 
And in, I think in Proverbs, it says, just give me my daily bread. Don't give me so little that I have to steal. And don't give me so much that I forget that I need you, Lord. Just give me my daily bread. That is why there's a big daily bread devotional that everybody that knows about the Christian faith gets a free copy of when they donate to their organization. My mom's been a huge donor for a while. I say huge, but they've been consistent with their tithing and whatnot, and they like to read it. And that's what we read every morning as a child. Mom would read us during our breakfast time. She didn't give us options. We were going to be raised in the faith system in elementary as homeschool kids. And then after elementary, they let us choose what we wanted to believe in. But by then, we had been shaped into learning it and liking it and having a lot of friends associated with it. So it is what it is. Uh, is it Psalms, Father? Psalms? Okay, he's sending me to Psalms 37. 37.3 Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. That's good. Keep reading. Nope, that's it. He says. <laughs> so new beginnings. What other new beginnings do you desire for me to share, Father? Oh, he says, share about my master's project. The master's project? Okay. So um, if you haven't been in graduate school before, I'll share a little snippet of it. My first year, and it might be different at different graduate schools. I'm not sure. This is my experience from Oregon State University, which I really enjoyed. <clears throat> I was teaching four physical activity classes. They were mostly aerobic classes and weight training. Three two-step aerobics, one cardio combinations, and a, and a weight training, like beginning weight training class. Um, they were like an hour-long class, two days a week. So eight hours of classes that I was teaching, and then I took my coursework. That was my requirement in order to keep my tuition remission, and I had to keep, uh, I think, a B-plus average GPA. And I couldn't have a C-minus on any required courses for my degree. Otherwise, I'd have to retake. So the standards were high, and I had to have, a, I think, a 4.5 out of 5 stars uh, review from my students in my classes. My classes were very large. I had a, a 45 average class size in the aerobics room, and then I think there was a 30 size because it was a small weight room. I think it was, so 45 times 3, whatever that is, 90, uh, it's like plus 30. I think it's about 160, 150 to 160, and I had people on the wait list. My first quarter, not so good, but I improved very quickly, and they also had a requirement to take the classes to get their degrees, so there was their incentive as well, but people showed up for me my second year. It was fun. So first year, coursework, taking classes, all the requirements for my specialty, you know, deciding on what my major uh, focus was going to be, was I going to do a thesis, which is basically like a research paper on somebody else's work and just write about it. And I was like, that sounds terribly boring. They said, or you could do a project. I said, well, what's a project? They said, you create something to add to our department, to add, to be contributing to society. I said, Ooh, that sounds, yeah, that's the one I want to do that. They, she said, yeah, you want to create? 
I was like, yes, I'm a very creative person. So took my coursework, did all the things, had to, uh, before, actually, before school started, I thought I was going to be a Grand Canyon University student. What if you went to Grand Canyon? Um, I took one online class and uh, I got an A and then I got offered. That was the summer before I got the letter. So I'd already enrolled in it and I took, I think I took loans out for that one, but because I was, uh, I was accepted into the Evergreen State Community College in Olympia, Washington for the Master's of uh, Middle School Mathematics Education. And I thought I was going to take that one. But then the first quarter, they said, you have to take statistics. So I was like, nope, I'm going to go to Oregon State. <laughs> I'm going to avoid statistics at all costs. That was my goal. Didn't happen. Uh, they required it in the first quarter there. So it was what it was. I made it through. I hired a tutor. If you struggle in a class, um, you can still pass. I made sure I met with the professor first day. Thank the Lord. He had just gotten his Ph.D., so he was understanding and young. And I said, I will do whatever it takes. I said, I have a scholarship. I can't lose it. I can't get below this grade level. I will do extra homework. I will do extra credit. I will get a tutor. Whatever you tell me to do, I will do it. I'm a hard worker, but I struggle. I have a lot of struggles with mathematics and statistics. And mentally, it stresses me out. So you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. <laughs> he smiled. He said, you'll be fine. Just show up. Just keep showing up. Keep doing the homework. You'll be fine. And I did. I didn't miss any homework assignments. I'm a very studious person. Very type A. Very type A. I've learned to lighten up in my 30s. My 30s, much more fun than my 20s. But I was in my 20s back then. So it is what it is. So, master's project, we had decided towards the, I think towards the end of my first year, uh, with uh, my advisors from Australia, lady advisor, Dr. Vicki Ebeck, she's so cool, so cool. She was actually um, in her PhD program with my, one of my favorite undergrad professors, Dr. Hacker, and she wrote me a stellar, stellar letter of recommendation for graduate school. And she said, oh, and by the way, I mailed your letter and the head of the department, she identified her as the head. So I don't know who it's the head, but apparently she's the neck that turns. <laughs> and she says, uh, we got our PhDs together. It's a very small world. I was like, that's awesome. Very cool. So we decided on my population. I had just been diagnosed earlier that year with asthma. So I was learning about asthma in J term or January quarter or whatever you want to call it. Um, I believe it was in January. It was a very cold day. It was the coldest day on record Corvallis, Oregon. It was 17 degrees outside Fahrenheit. So you can transfer that to whatever Celsius degrees. It's probably, uh, well, 32, I think, is zero in Celsius or whatever. I forget how you convert it, but in any case, it was very cold. And my chest was tight, very tight, like I had to stretch to breathe just normally. And I didn't, I didn't know why. A couple hours after running outside for an hour and breathing it in, all the cold air. Well, I think I froze all the pleura around my lungs. You know, it is what it is. I'm, I'm a very tough person. And when I pay for something, I paid for a race. I wasn't going to waste my money. So it was what it was. I said, I'd like to learn more about this condition I was just diagnosed with. She said, what were you diagnosed with? I said, asthma. She goes, really? You're, you're so old to be diagnosed with it. I can't believe I didn't diagnose you sooner. I think that's exactly how she said it. And I said, well, 
uh, kind of was neglected as a child. <laughs> Didn't want to say that bad about my parents. But I, I had some similar stories to what she told us in her classes. She had a broken arm and her parents ignored that. Yeah. She didn't get a cast. Yeah. Us, us tough ladies, successful, smart ladies, yeah, probably have evidence of neglect and abuse as children, right? It doesn't kill you, makes you stronger. That's the darn truth. So we decided the population was going to be about asthma, and I was creating songs and dances. Uh, but a first assignment was I had to do a literature review to make sure that what I was doing was going to be new, that nobody else had ever done it before. So I did my due diligent research in the marketplace on what was available. And as I was reading through the white paper research, that's when the lyrics and the melodies started coming to me at different times. That's how my brain has been designed from the father. I am a musician. I am a songwriter. But I didn't identify as a songwriter back then because I had tried to get my master's degree in music and they had refused me access in America to apply for loans to get a master's degree in music. They sent me on purpose because of the No Child Left Behind Act. They said, nope, you're going to have to go to your undergrad. My undergrad was money-grubbing cheap little bastards. That's the truth. And they said, no, you can't. You can't pass the test, the endorsement test, without getting your bachelor's degree in music. I said, well, I don't have money to get a bachelor's degree in music, and the FAFSA doesn't allow me to get another bachelor's degree. So I was stuck not being able to follow my dreams in America. Yeah, that's the truth. But the Lord said, no, I'm going to find a way. You have this desire, this dream in your heart. I'm going to find a way for you to be able to achieve it anyway. And I had a very out-of-the-box thinking, creative professor. It was my advisor. And at that time, she was the chief editor of the American Psychological Association. She got to read through all the new research that was being released. APA is how all scientific research is formulated and released. There's MLA, which is for literature research and whatnot. APA is, is for all medical research. Yeah. <laughs> the Lord gave me the best. The best. Uh, 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 uh. And so um, at first she was hesitant. She had no idea about my musical background. I said, oh, I was in an elite. She goes, well, can you sing? I said, well, yes, I can. And then, then, my, then my true personality started coming out. She, she's like, all right, tell me more. I said, well, I was in an elite music group in high school. She goes, ooh, I like the word elite. I said, yeah, we got to tour around the U.S. I got to miss a lot of school. Got to perform inside of Disneyland, sang for the mayor of Hawaii, got to sing for all the superintendents of Washington State, Rotary Club, business meetings, government officials in Olympia, Washington. I said, we competed. And we always took first place, except for one time in three years. I said, I'm an extremely good singer. I've been performing for thousands of people my whole life. First performance I performed when I was five years old in front of 300 kids and like 20 adults. I said, I was made to sing and I can teach people how to do it. But the holes in our government, she's laughing. I said, they won't let me get a degree in it because it's my area of genius. I don't need a degree. This is my area of genius. I will make an outstanding program. Because she asked me a very key question. 
well, Aaron, if you're going to be spending a year doing something, what would you enjoy spending a year doing? And I said, music, let me do music and it will be outstanding. So she kept making me do more and more and more. She was a slave trade person. She definitely, she she I don't have a limit. I don't have an off switch. If people don't give me parameters, I will keep working and working and working and working. And so I've had to learn to set my own work parameters in this position. We're 28 days away from me uh, gaining uh, two positions with my husband. They know that about me. They've seen me work and hustle without any financial anything. Nobody's helped me in any capacity in the last three years other than keep me alive and trace all the illegal activities. They've used me as their little guinea pig to get all of these nasty little rats out of the woodwork to catch them all in the traps. But it's been sucky for Aaron Nicole because they've used me. But it's fine. It's all going to be for a greater purpose. So the project completed it five songs five dances uh, created curriculum for the school system it's supposed to be for fifth grade level but the uh, we didn't implement it with kids we wanted to see if it was safe and effective and could be used by teachers so teachers evaluated it classroom teachers music teachers and gym teachers fifth grade level reached out to them very difficult to get feedback from working people very difficult. I had a lot of information. I did reminders, reminders. That is what my partner helped me with. Because at that time, many of these teachers, I had had meetings every month with, right, through the PEP grant. So they had sort of kind of knew me. But I said, I I need them to not be biased. Don't just give me fives, like give me real feedback, because I desired and I was required to make improvements on the program. So everybody gave me fives, and then I got some real feedback from a music teacher and one other teacher. Just two people gave me feedback. The rest of them didn't have time to fill out anything. That's how burned out teachers are. And it was during the school year, so they had their responsibilities, and they were gracious to read through and watch my materials. I actually got some bad feedback from one of uh, former music company alumni. Yeah. She and I talked together. She said, I don't really think that kids with asthma get bullied. But what she didn't know is that kids that have asthma also are obese. They're misdiagnosed with asthma. They just tell them you have asthma instead of saying, hey, how about let's go walk and get your weight to a healthy level. Because when you're obese, it makes it difficult for you to be able to breathe. I was not obese when I was diagnosed with asthma. My lungs froze. There are 12 different triggers. I'm an extreme expert when it comes to asthma education because of the work that I did in graduate school. And in 2020, Move Happy expanded without any business loans or grants because the Lord pours favor over his children. And I had been authentic and spread love. I was intentional. I was focused. And I was obedient with this calling that he put on my heart since 2018. To help people with depression in the world. And I was just sharing my story. And one of my community members said, What if you did internship partnerships with universities? Through their business departments. One post. I made one post and expanded across three continents. 
And then I was featured on Good Morning America through Team Gary V, my branding. And then, written a song with the lady had bragged to me privately that she had earned Grammys. But then the music industry said she wasn't allowed to brag about that. Because the song, she had to give her name up. Because they're a bunch of liars and cheaters. She had had enough with the music industry and she wanted to make her own money. Because the economy was tough. And her husband wasn't making no money. Because Trump wasn't allowing, while he was in office, for any of these sleazy people that were stealing from Americans to do business in America unless they were going to pay tariffs yeah he doesn't let nobody bully middle class he cares about us real citizens that are the working poor and uh, I grew too fast I grew way too fast in 2020 because I was trying to lead it and grow it and I had made a post about my project and um we had been invited to present my creation that my middle brother had helped produce the music for. It was a family project. We had been invited to a multi-regional conference to present my signature dance from the only song of the five songs that had a track background. The other songs were a cappella because I didn't have those skills, but his music industry connections they had gifted us access to the tracks and he said you can work on these songs he had sent me equipment to record good quality equipment and then he did the final mix down and fixed my pitches and all those things that I didn't have the skills to do but he taught himself and started his own career in the music industry making a lot of money back then when YouTube was good my brother doesn't have any degrees He doesn't need any degrees because he pursued his passion and he found his calling. And these evil people in the Illuminati Deep State, CCP, they blacklisted him around that same time. Maybe a year or so later. He didn't tell me for another six years. He was so embarrassed. But he had nothing to be embarrassed about. He did a good service for America and he's going to be paid a lot from all the back payments. I can't wait. I can't wait because that's what the Lord said and it will be done. And I married the best trained assassin in the world. And they tried to kill us last year. So we ain't going to send any of these bad boys and girls to where they belong. We're going to allow them to just pay us a lot of money tax-free for the rest of our lives. Ah, New beginnings. New beginnings. What else, Father? What else do you desire for me to talk about, speak about your truth and how much you love your children? And you always win in the end. What's that, Father? Okay, he says he wants me to talk about my projects or programs? Programs, therapies that I created when I worked at the psych hospital. So, uh, 2016... I started working at a psychiatric hospital, first time ever. I kept getting laid off from school districts, hired, laid off, hired, laid off, demoted FTE, they lied about contracts, all kinds of things. So I was tired of that. I wanted a full-time job in one location, and I got it. It didn't pay enough to, to pay for the divorce that I had after Matt had lied about his faith to keep me in the relationship. Uh, We dated each other. We separated, did the six-month trial separation. 
And uh, he lied to my, my father. He lied to me. He lied to his daughter that got baptized. He lied to all of us. He had addiction problems. And he was focused on money. It was what it was. I learned a lot from that relationship. But divorce, very expensive. I was dealing with that. I was dealing with that and new career, and then my dad died. It's like, whoa, triple whammy. New address, all kinds of things. And uh, my dad died my third day with patients. I had one week of orientation where we didn't work with patients at all. It was safety skills training. It was uh, slight combatives, mostly, uh, mostly de-escalation training using like affirmative language, validating, things of that nature, calming down people that are upset, right? It's life or death. If you work with patients that have committed murders and uh, if they're cheeking their meds or if they're cycling from their, their medications and they're going through psychosis, it's not personal. They don't see you as a friend. They see you as an enemy. Or they could. That's how they trained us, worst case scenarios, because it's liability to the hospital if, if someone gets injured on the job. And it's the right thing to do. It was the best training I ever received. Very cool training from all kinds of staff, from a variety of years of experiences and whatnot. And then there was four different halls. I worked in the long-term hall. Patients were there for 180 days minimum, up to 30 years. Some of them lived there. That was home for them. Many of them committed crimes, and they had to serve their time in a psych hospital. Because they were considered criminally insane. Laws protect them. And so they had to live in a double locked doors facility. Very structured. And in my particular position, I worked in the treatment mall. It was kind of like school for adults. They would come down to receive treatment. We would escort them down in the mornings for two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon. And then they had evening activities on their ward. They were allowed to have a little bit of freedom, autonomy, things of that nature. Everything was structured. Everything was structured. Very, 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 very structured medical model. We had a charge nurse that was our head of our floor. And uh, she would assign people PRNs if they were acting out. Hey, do you need a PRN? And they'd say yes if they needed a PRN, which is a calm me down medicine. They'd have to go take it up on the ward. And then they weren't allowed to uh, be a part of their classes for the rest of the day. They needed to have like a timeout, if you will medical induced timeout. They tried their best to not encourage patients to do that unless they absolutely needed it because if they if they took a PRN then they could lose their level, which caused them to lose a lot of their autonomy, their freedoms, their choices. And then they'd have to climb back up the ladder of freedoms again. Uh it was what it was. Uh so dad died my third day with patients. I think my second day or my first day, I had shown up. Not my first day, it must have been my second day. I was, I was desperate for making money. Because I was waiting to pay my bills. And I was going to be homeless. That's how desperate I was. When dad died, I had a manager position at a gym. I gave all that up. Because when he was sick... And we found out it wasn't pneumonia. I knew he, I knew he wasn't doing good. He, they helped me move in July to my new place in Federal Way, Washington. So I could be closer to my manager job. And Dad was barely able to walk a few feet. 
where a week before, two weeks before, he was doing full capacity at his job. It swiftly hit him, very unexpectedly. If you've lost any loved ones, very unexpectedly, you're not alone. I knew something was up. I knew right away he got his big inhaler thing out, the big long tube, and he's sitting on the end of my car. He couldn't even help me. He was moving, but he was there. He tried to help me. My rent in Puyallup was going up a couple hundred dollars for a two-bedroom apartment, and I was paying a lot of my debts with credit cards because the court system didn't help me during my divorce process. It took them four months to do anything about the fact that Matt had moved our entire bank account, illegally moved all of our money to a secret account. It took them four months to do anything about it. Through, through a lot of grace of people, helped me pay my bills, but I couldn't afford to keep paying the debt. I had a roommate who got addicted to drugs and tripped out on one of them. Veteran. Threatened to kill me in the middle of the night. I had to go into safe housing when I lived in Puyallup. I asked him to move out. He did. He dropped the key off. I couldn't even get him removed off the lease because they said that I didn't make enough money. They didn't care about my personal safety. It's all about money. That's how the world operates. That's what I learned. Be very careful who you marry. I thought, you know, having my dad talk to him about it, making sure he believed in Jesus Christ, that I was safe. But no, no, no. Men are liars. That's what I've learned. It is what it is. I moved to that place. Then I was about to be homeless. <sighs> Life. Don't do crazy things in crisis but can't really plan for losing a parent can't really plan for losing a loved one unexpectedly he died seven weeks later I was trying to medicate myself through the, those pains, those sadnesses through dating people I, still, I was like man, I believe in love you know, I'm a romantic person but I was trying to have a man fulfill my financial needs and provide that consolation that only the Father can provide. He is my provider. He is my healer. He is my counselor. He is my teacher. He is my everything. And uh, during that year at the hospital, it was probably the greatest job I could have in the worst situation of losing a parent. I was receiving therapy just by being there and showing up to the group therapy classes and being there with the patients. I didn't know that everybody found out that my dad died until I started getting all of these like, hey, I'm praying for you. I heard about your dad. I'm so sorry for your loss from all the patients. And I was like, how are they knowing about this? What is going on? Well, I had left a voicemail because I had driven on Lyft one day and I showed up late for work and I lied to my boss, Sue. I felt bad about it. That's the truth. She said, why didn't you call us? You're running late, Aaron. We have a ship to run here. She didn't say that. She said, we're worried about you. I said, well, who, who do I call if I'm running late? She goes, oh, we didn't give you that number, did we? I'm sorry. I got like 17 numbers in orientation, but the late number was not what they provided. They forgot. Orientation were so thorough about the hospital, but basic job necessities. If you're working in a hospital setting 24-7 around-the-clock service for patients, you have to let them know if you're running late or if you're calling out. And what I didn't know, and I learned real quick, is that the phone number when I called and left the voicemail, that everybody in the hospital, all the staff had access to listening to me 
say that my dad just died. That was humiliating, but it, it was needing to be done. So that allowed for everybody to be kind to me and to show me grace in a brand new job where I was getting oriented and I was figuring out what floor I was on. And I used to get so lost so quickly, but I've learned my mind. I've learned to train my mind, and EHT is a mind supplement I take every day. I recommend it to people. It's not for everybody, right? There's, it's anything that works with the brain. Some brain chemistries can't hack it, and there's a couple of people that I know that they said it made their depression worse, so you need to pay attention to that. Um, but I do know that they were funded from the National Institute of Health to present on their findings for helping people with Alzheimer's, and I got to sell it. I got to be a part of the um, groundbreaking year of launch where I was partnered with that company and I was advertising it. That's what good sales are all about. So new beginnings. So back to the story. I, through, through, this, through the supernatural favor of the Father above, giving me grace that year and carrying me through that season of grief, I created five alternative therapies. I'm going to talk to you about those because that's what the Holy Spirit desires for me to talk about for new beginnings. If you're um, first time listening to the show, awesome. If you've been listening, then maybe you hear it in a different way. So I ask that you would maybe pause this episode, ask the Lord or whoever you pray to, to open your mind to receiving the golden nuggets and to dismissing any extra fluff. Okay, take what you love, leave what you don't, and hopefully you leave more knowledgeable and inspired to make yourself and your life a happier experience. So the first program, I was observing. I was observing the first few weeks. I wasn't asked or expected to to do a lot. They knew my dad died. They were giving me grace because I was showing up to work. So show up. Show up to your jobs. Get there early. I had a good attitude, but they knew I was grieving. They knew I was having a hard time. So they had me co-facilitate classes but I was really just sitting there and just showing up and being there and learning the patient names it was easy I could do that I could show up and learn patient names easy button so I was observing the different classes that were being offered for the patients there's gardening therapy there was uh what else was their father there was a music therapist there that did uh music therapy activities different instruments creation whatnot um There was a a games class for board games, puzzles, things to work, slower activities on the mind. Uh, There was a medical adherence class that our charge nurse taught to teaching the patients why it's important for them to adhere to their medications and what can happen if they just stop taking them, right? So that's not good. Some of these meds, instant death or instant rage if they stop taking them for a day or two. Not good. So there was a variety of other classes. Um, each quarter or semester, whatever they called it, was a little bit different because the patients were allowed to ask for input on what classes they wanted to learn more about. It was pretty neat. They taught autonomy, and they allowed them to receive it. My boss, head of the rec department for the whole hospital, for our, excuse me, for, I think, was, was it for the whole one? Yeah, for our whole area. She was the head of the rec and as she was a rec therapist, she was very kind to me because her dad had died from cancer. And when I interviewed for the job a month before my dad died, we had found out that it wasn't pneumonia, that it was cancer. But we didn't even know the stage, so she knew how swiftly he died. That's 
why they gave me a lot of grace. And I was observing there was a walking class. It was walking or DVD. It was a fitness class. I don't remember what it was taught by or what it was called, but it was taught by Sue. Uh, you want me to say her last name, Father? McKinney and uh, Carla. And I'm forgetting Carla's last name. It starts with the E. Two sweet ladies. Very sweet. Um, fitness wasn't their jam. They knew it was good for them, but they ran. There was a token store every week. Uh, the patients earned points for showing up to classes and then they could buy things at the store at the end of the week things that weren't provided to them to teach them how to shop right teaching them positive behavior is a positive behavior reinforcement thing they could buy things like nail polish and makeup lotions shaving creams batteries you know um, some like some candy snacks that weren't in the machines and uh some other items um and they taught other classes as well but they taught this fitness class and it was the same dvd every day walking or yoga two just two dvds and i said this is great for this week i observed their class all week i said this is great for this week so what what's the class's plan for next week and uh, one of the ladies said well what we found is that the patients really thrive on stability so we provide them the same lessons every week because they thrive on stability now, to any lay person, that sounds like a very knowledgeable response. And to anyone who doesn't want to step on anybody's toes, that sounds like a very knowledgeable response. But I was required in the school system to create my own lessons, and we had a PEP grant, a million-dollar grant, in order to provide parents with digital feedback on a regular basis of how their students' learning was doing based on learning targets. And then I worked with the military, the U.S. Army and Air Force, as a research health educator, funded by Orla, uh, excuse me, not Orla, O-R-A-U, Oak Ridge Associated Universities, which funds a majority of the medical research across the nation and around the world for all United States military research. My standards were high. I wasn't going to just let it go and think that the same lesson every day is going to get these patients motivated to have an intrinsic desire to exercise, which I already knew from my undergraduate professor, Dr. Hacker, who worked with Olympic athletes. I already knew that exercise movement was more powerful than any white paper research stated talk therapy was or pharmaceutical combined. So I knew I could improve their fitness. So I, I said, all right. All right, Lord, here's where I can help. Everybody was nice to me. They were kind to me. The patients were really kind. I desired to make it better. I didn't desire to build a business. I desired to make it better. Because that's what I do everywhere I go. I desire to make places better. To do my work into the Lord. And that's what I did. I asked my boss for permission first. I said, I've observed these classes I have these degrees, I have these skills, I'm extremely creative, please, can I help improve the fitness program? I promise you, I said, I'm also very into positive psychology, I said, I promise you, I will make something that will be very good. She said, well, we just don't have the money for it. I said, no problem. I created, when I was a graduate teaching assistant, I created an on-the-budget fitness program for college students that were broke. 
and all I needed was dumbbells and resistant bands. She said, we only have $150 each semester, split between like 15 staff. So we each had like $6 to be able to buy, I think a month or something like that. It was not a lot of money. So I said, so we have zero budget is what I'm hearing you say. She says, yes. I said, good. It's good to know my parameters. I can create something without any budget. I'm very confident. Body resistance exercises are very powerful. And I could teach them something that they could do outside of the hospital. I had already talked to my colleague and asked key questions as I was observing. I was placed in her class, her MBCT class, Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy class, to co-facilitate. I had shared in her class that my dad had died two days before, and I showed up to work, and I was crying, and the U.S. Marine veteran that was a part of our original Move Happy program was in that class, and I said, my dad died of cancer. It was extremely hard for me to talk about it, but Sayaka made me. She forced me to, to show the patients what real healing looks like from real conversations, being really transparent, not being fake, showing them how to keep going, how to show up to your job even if you lose someone in your life. So then he opened up about his wife dying, and it was a nine-year battle. He was by her bedside for nine years. I said, I'm so sorry for your loss. He, we instantly built rapport right there. He became my protector in the hallways. He made sure that the men were respectful to us ladies. He started stepping up his behavior. He could see that we were in need. And uh, when, uh, when I was negotiating with my boss, Sue Bender, best boss I've ever had. I've had a lot of good bosses, but she's by far the best boss. She allowed me to be myself. She didn't want me to work outside of work hours because it's against the policies. But I said, this will help me heal. I need to work on something positive. Otherwise, I'm going to go insane. I said, I just, I just got divorced. Like, just a couple months ago. Just finalized. She said, you got divorced? I said, yeah. It's been a tough year. I said, I just moved. She said, you just moved? I said, yeah. It's been a very tough year. I said, this will be something positive for me to work on. Please, I know it'll be good. She said, well, in order for it to be approved and billable to the state, it has to be empirically based, meaning there has to be white paper research backing it. I said, well, here's my way around that. She says, okay, I'm listening. I says, I learned how to do research design in graduate school. I created a program. Project Asthma was my creation. I was invited to present it at a multi-regional state conference for all. This organization is called AFERD. She smiled. She goes, I know what AFERD is. I said, you do? I said, they changed their name to Shape America. She goes, I know. I said, I was invited to present my own creation. Now, different population. I said, this was for the school system. It was supposed to be for fifth grade level. But the feedback from the teachers stated that the music was high school level and the dance was uh, middle school, junior high level. So I said, it's totally different. But I said, anything I put my mind to, I'm successful at. And I desire to improve this fitness program. And I said, I have a huge passion for positive psychology. And journaling is very, very much in the white paper research as being an effective tool for patients. 
with depression and anxiety. And I imagine many of these patients have depression and anxiety in addition to any other diagnoses they have because we had learned in my orientation that the majority of the patients, I think 87%, had schizophrenia and bipolar, some of them, which is, so, uh, uh, what do they call that, affective disorder. And they're, just, they're humans. They're human beings. That's what they are. Labels cause division. Labels provide treatment plans, but labels cause division. And these, pa- these patients, coolest people you'd ever meet. Kindest, most generous, not much different than average Americans. And when the internet goes down in November, you're going to see a bunch of people losing their minds real quick. And all the people <laughs> that have been broke the majority of their lives, they're going to be fine because it ain't going to change much for them. <laughs> Back to the story. So Move Happy became a 16-week program. One semester we had, I think, 17 weeks. But a 16-week program where with the goal, the intention to improve their fitness, improve their happiness, and create a sense of intrinsic desire for them to continue on with movement once they got discharged out of the hospital, to set them up for a win, a successful, uh, what do we call it in sports psychology, Father? Exercise psych. Your mastery experience is your first experience introduced to something. I didn't know if any of these patients had ever had any PE program or any sort of fitness class program. Some of them did. Some of them didn't. Some of them had bad experiences. I had a mixture right? And of opinions. And they had a very structured environment where they were told all kinds of things of what they needed to do. Some of their nurses on their wards were very controlling. One, very mean. They all told us about her. Double locked doors. But you better believe they have cousins and they have friends outside of the hospital. And she got her car keyed not once but twice because she was very controlling and evil. And she should have retired. And they retaliated. Don't be rude to people. They won't mess with you. I grew up in the hood. I learned that a long time ago. In any case, the program grew bigger than I ever imagined. Because I set it up for success. I got permission from my boss to do it. I emailed key players in the hospital. The head of the psychology department. Another rec director from the uh, central hall, I think, were um, patients that first got there that were still detoxing off of drugs and alcohol that had just been arrested or whatever. They were 179 days or less in the hospital. Uh, that, that head of that rec department had uh, emailed me back, was interested in it. Everybody was interested in being a part of the creation of something. And they loved to support me because my dad had died. So they were showing me grace because I was grieving. And they were like, wow, this lady is like not just showing up and doing the bare minimum, but she's like trying to like contribute here. Like, yeah, we want to be a part of this. And they loved the name. At first I was going to call it Run Happy. And then I was like, well, maybe not everybody likes to run. Then I, then I thought about it, and I said, what about move, Father? And he said, that's the one, that's the winner. Because everybody can move. 
You can move slow, you can move fast, or you can move in between, and you can do all kinds of movements. But you should choose movements that you enjoy. That's my undergrad, excuse me, that's my graduate degree. Exercise and sports psychology. There's a variety of specialties you can get in that degree, but I've had this intrinsic desire to move my body since I was a little girl. My mom got me plugged in to moving. My mom got me interested in exercise. Normally, the father's interest is way more powerful than the mother's, but I spent a lot more time with my mom growing up. She was a single parent. Let's be real. Dad paid the bills. He wasn't there. And uh, until I turned 11, and then he was there every day, but he was asleep. So he was uninvolved in our lives, but he still paid the bills. He was depressed, and he didn't get help until his last few years of life. I love him. I miss him. And it's uh, this October will be seven years since he passed away. That was a really tough year for me, but I didn't let it stop me. I didn't let it stop me from helping other people. And that is the, the secret sauce of healing. It's choosing love. Choosing the love of the Father. So Move Happy was the first program that I created at the hospital. It turned successful. The U.S. Marine veteran was a part of that program. And there was some apprehension in the program. But I explained to the patients, I said, we're going to create something together. This isn't just me telling you what to do. I said, I desire, I have some desires for you guys. Uh, I have a background in health and fitness. I have a background in some dance. And I enjoy to move during my work day. We're going to try something new. And I recognize that we've got all kinds of fitness levels in this class. Uh, Number one rule is there's no judgment. Your fitness is very personal. No one should be making fun of you for how great you are at fitness or how terrible you are at fitness, especially if you have any uh, medical conditions, right? Some of the patients had suffered strokes. Some of them had um, just weren't moving at all. So they had the sitting disease, right? And so they were stiff, right? They were elderly. They were in a locked facility. They weren't allowed to have art on the walls. So it was just blank walls everywhere, except for down in our treatment wall. We broke some rules. There was art all the time that the patients created because one of my colleagues, Danny, was such a great creative person. and It was fun. It was a fun place to show up to work. Great energy, great staff. And, uh, I was nervous that uh, Susan and Carla might have been upset that I took over that class. I really did. I took over and I enhanced it. As Beyonce would say, I upgraded it. And uh, by the third round, I had earned a promotion after creating four other alternative therapies. Three, group. Two, one-on-one. And I got them on the map, the positive map from PR from Washington State, And 119,000 employees, Washington State employees, were emailed about our event that was free, that we created, that I, because I'm good at bringing people together. And uh, I just leaned in. I leaned into my calling. And I was surrounded by positive people outside of work hours in this direct sales company that I was a part of, that my dad was a part of with me. They knew my dad at the trainings. They knew that he died. They were encouraging me. I was being supported and prayed for from people all over the nation and internationally. 
because this company was the fastest growing anti-aging skincare company in the world. And they, they partnered with Signum Biosciences to release the Mind Supplement EHT. World-changing Mind Supplement changed my world for the better. So the second therapy was uh, towards the end of the summer, August. And uh, I think it was in August. It was, they did it every year. It was an annual event the following August. Because I started like late September, early October. So it was almost towards the end. Uh, I think it was. Well, now, now I'm thinking about it. Because, hold on. might be off on my timeline. Because I had earned the promotion and went on vacation in June. So maybe it wasn't August. Maybe it was a spring something. Anyways, they did this annual barbecue. Must have been June. Must have been beginning of June. So they did this annual barbecue and half the hospital, four halls. So the two halls in the morning and the other two in the afternoon, they would come out and there was different stations. There was a live band. There was face painting. There was like beanbag toss. There was um, like a balloon clown person, you know, building the things snow cones there was a karaoke station there was all kinds of things for the patients and I volunteered at the karaoke station because I love to sing and I sang where I carry emotions and it was like everybody in the whole every hall heard me sing everybody was talking about it they (laughs) started talking patients and staff the next day or a couple of days later, this this uh, staff member from S9, I worked on S, uh, it was S6 was our main floor. And I never talked to this lady in my life. I think her first name was Kat. She come up to me. She's like, hey, Erin. Hey, I heard that you, you sing. You like to sing, yeah? I said, yeah. She goes, I heard, I heard you sing. That Mariah Carey song, I heard that. You sounded good, girl. She goes, I got this idea. I heard about your Move Happy program. I would like to teach the patients juggling. I was wondering if you'd be interested in teaching the patients how to sing. I said, okay, what, what do they have to do together? She goes, well, I was thinking like a performing arts class. What do you think? I said, I like what you're thinking. I said, I learned how to juggle. I learned how to teach juggling. It's huge cognitive. It lights up both sides of the brain. She goes, I know. I said, uh... I'm not that great at juggling, but I've never taught singing before. I don't have any music degree. She goes, that's okay. I heard you sing. I know you could teach it. I said, okay, I like your confidence. I said, what if we got a third person? Because one of my colleagues, Rick, used to be a uh, stand-up comedian, and he toured across the U.S. and I think Canada back in the day. What if we did like a like a performing arts thing where we're training them if they desire to have a career in performing arts or if they're applying for jobs to help them build the confidence to get their mindsets ready for if they desire to work when they get discharged. She goes, I love it. Do you think Sue will be open to it? I said, I'm, sh- I'm certain she would. Okay, great. So I didn't hear anything from her. Then I got confirmation that we were good to go. So I was like, all right, cool, we're good to go. She got the approval, blah, blah, blah. So then <laughs> when you get approval and you, and you are successful in one thing, it makes it easier to get 
permission in the future. That's note to note to self. So uh, second therapy executed before we executed it in our every morning. We had our morning huddle meeting from seven forty five sharp to late. Then we go up and we pick up the patients. Sometimes five till, and then we go pick up escort the patients down for the morning meeting, morning uh, classes, I should say. And I thanked my boss in front of all my colleagues. I said, I just want to thank you so much for letting us do this next therapy. I said, I'm, I'm blown away that you're, you're open to it and you're believing in us. She goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, the, the performing arts therapy. She goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, what's her name said that you gave us permission? She goes, Erin, she's on S9. That's against the billing codes. She doesn't have a contract that states that she can come down here and facilitate I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Well, we can try it again in the future, maybe. And then I let it go. And then afterwards, I apologized to her privately. I said, I had no idea she didn't give, get permission from you to do this thing. I, I assumed when I got the go-ahead from her that she spoke to you already. She goes, I've not talked to her at all. I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to call you out in front of everybody like that. She says, it's all right. She says, here, why don't we just try it out? That's God being good to me, man. That is God being good to me. She goes, why don't you just, let's just try it out. And if the patients are interested, she said, I really don't see the patients being interested in singing. But if they are, then let's try it out. I said, all right. That sounds, that sounds fair. I said, here's, here's what I plan to do. Because um, she had already had me sing for the patients. I didn't get paid any extra. I was the entertainment for the patients for the Christmas holidays. Yeah. So, I had some leverage, okay? I worked, <laughs> I worked extra. I said, here's what I'm planning to do. I said, I'm friends with my high school choir teacher. Um, we got to do a lot of cool gigs. And she heard me sing for a judge, for a politician fundraising event. She knew I was a professional singer. To be able to have a professional singer and teaching patients in a psychiatric hospital how to sing, it's pretty unheard of. So, it... The, the positives outweighed the negatives, the risks. It was what it was. She let me be myself, so I brought my A game. So I said, I'm going to talk to my high school choir teacher and see if I can pick his brain. Because we competed. I said, Sue, we competed. Three years I worked with this man. Best of the best music teacher ever. We competed. We took first in every competition in three years. Except for one time we took second place. And I will never forget that day. <laughs> we lost our cool. And the bus driver negatively impacted our attitudes. And it, it negatively impacted our performance my sophomore year. And uh, I said, I got, to, I got to perform inside at Disneyland and all kinds of big gigs. And her, she smiled. She, her eyes lit up. She's like, oh, my goodness. Do you think he'd, he'd help us? I said, He's going to, if he's willing to give me his time, he's going to set it up for success for me. He's, he's a very smart man, smart businessman and high level performer. And we got to miss a lot of school because we were ambassadors of our school district. They paid us. They paid our program to keep it going. And she's like, okay. So then she got excited about it because I was bringing more value to the hospital than they were paying me for. And they let me do it. And I didn't mind because they were bringing me healing and I got to be myself. And I wasn't doing it for the money. I was doing it because I was enjoying 
being able to customize my workday, basically do whatever I want to do. And I did a good job. So I called Mr. Krause, Mr. C. I said, hey, here's, here's the thing. This lady asked me to help teach singing. I never taught singing in my life. You know that. I don't have any music degrees. They want me to teach it in the hospital, in the psych hospital, to adult patients. Can I pick your brain? Can, I, can we meet at like a Starbucks or something? Can I ask you some questions to help set this up as a win? He said, sure, let's meet. And we set up the meeting, and uh, he did. He set it up for success. Mr. Krause helped me customize performing arts therapy for the patients. I did the music portion. My colleague, did, uh, she got a promotion at another hospital and left us shortly, like two weeks later. I was like, this is so weird. Um, we did our portion, and then Rick did his portion of his uh, comedy slash kind of improv skills and whatnot, and I did the music portion. And Krauss helped me, Mr. C helped me to customize the questions to think about how it would be received to the audience. He said, you need to figure out your audience's knowledge base. Do you have a bunch of elite musicians? Do you have a mixture of brand new people with elite musicians? Or are they all brand new? You got to know your audience. I said, that's a great question. So then he said, so then based on your audience's knowledge, then you customize the learning experience. So you got to figure out what they know about music so you don't bore them to death. I said, yeah, that's great feedback. And are, is it going to be a vocal singing or is it going to be um, instrumental? Is it going to be a combination? Are you going to throw some strings in there? I said, this is all great. I didn't even think of all these things. She just asked if I wanted to teach them how to sing. He says, well, music is very broad. So if you want to teach them how to appreciate music, that's one thing, right? Where you can have them listen to different styles of music and then you critique it, right? Like listening like an audience or if they're going to create it, that's a totally different dynamic in, in and of itself. And are you going to teach how to read music or is it listening and repeating like in the, um, the African-American churches they would do um, back in the day when they would teach it was back in slavery times they were singing the hymnals they were singing the gospel music to keep them hopeful while they were enforced into slavery right so are you going to teach it like that where they're singing to each other and they're not reading any music on pages they're just singing and call and repeat or is it going to be like an educational musical class where you're pulling in some like music theory and things so he got me thinking about how I desired for it to be and I didn't have all I didn't have any music theory classes in college I all I had was performing based experience real experience of getting paid to perform so I said well I'm going to teach them what I've learned and just a few steps behind in that journey and sure enough Sue comes into the class first day I'm doing exercises teaching them I said what I'd like to to tell you and I told them a little bit of my story and the performances that I've been able to do and I said I imagine we did the little questionnaire thing I I said I've read through the questionnaire and based on the questionnaire we've got a variety of musical experts in the class and some people that are brand new into it so you might have a goal in the class to appreciate and learn more about music but that's where your goal ends some of you have backgrounds of being elite we had an elite violinist excuse me viola player he was a teenage music prodigy, but he had gotten addicted to meth, methamphetamines, and it had completely destroyed his ability to play his instrument. He had 
thrown away his career because he got addicted to meth, which was one of the number one things in that area. Meth labs busted from the police. The town that I grew up in, which was like 20 minutes away from where I worked, 20 or 30, in Spanaway, Washington. Number two busted meth labs in the whole United States of America. Yeah, very sad. Very sad because in his mind, he still knew how to play. So he was bored to death in class. But what his therapist told me privately was that if, because I said, maybe you could bring, maybe he said his mom had his, his viola. Maybe your mom can uh, bring your viola to, to the hospital and then you can, you can show us your skills in class. Because he had ADHD real bad and he wanted to get up and lead the class. He had a lot of leadership skills. So I was learning to adjust my teaching and facilitation of this music thing that was brand new for me while dealing with an expert who he believed he was an expert. But his therapist told me, no, he destroyed his viola. He smashed it on the ground out of anger because he realized his mind was telling him he was still an expert, but his fingers forgot how to play the instrument. That is what drugs do to people. It ruins your life. Don't do it. I've seen incredibly kind people in a hospital setting where drugs have ruined their careers, their financial trajectories, their passions, and their joys. That's the truth. But uh, he never caused me any problems because I respected him and I treated him with dignity. And I learned to go with the flow. My boss was so impressed with how I got all the patients to sing vocal exercises, and we started getting patients to start volunteering to show us their musical skills on the keyboard or singing solos to one another. She said, Aaron, I don't know how you did it. I didn't think any of the patients would even release a peep of music. You have a gift. How in the world, how in the world were you able to do that? I said, I don't know. I just, I just taught them things that I've learned from my previous classes and vocal training and and performing I said I don't I don't know how to explain it I didn't know if I'd be good or not but I gave them my best she said that I know you did thank you for doing this I was a blessing to them my mom always told us every day before we left the house she was a broken record about it and I love that she was she said be a blessing be a blessing Aaron be a blessing hey love you be a blessing every day single day. That was our command from the leadership in our household, the maternal leadership. And I made that decision when I became an adult because I like to be a blessing. Now there are some a-holes I've had to deal with in the last three years of this contest that have blocked me from making money in America. But I have still chosen my best and my capacities to be a blessing to everybody I come in contact with, unless I get a sense from them that they are trying to groom me into sexually inappropriate behaviors or have been paid to get intel off of me. I had the best training off-grid in 2020. And the best, best man in the world, and I married him last year. He and I made a lifetime commitment, and they tried to kill us last year after erasing the record of committing treason and sending me as a spy to get intel off of him by telling me and I was receiving protections. And they hacked into our devices and were listening in on our conversations, I bet. They got caught. They got caught in the act. But it's all right. It's all right. 
because the Lord knows all, sees all, is above all. So back to the story. So that was the second therapy, performing arts therapy. Uh, juggling, uh, she taught, uh, uh, there was ten different styles of juggling. It wasn't as well received from the patients, I think because it was too much all at once, and the patients needed just one style to be taught. That's how I would do it in the future if you'd like to teach this in your psych hospital or in your school system or whatnot. Um, I thought Rick did a great job with the stand-up comedy. Um, he showed some videos of some people that had co-occurring disorders that were able to use comedy, stand-up comedy, and tell their story. And some of the patients had co-occurring disorders, so he used relevant information based on their medical reports to help them sh show them real-life examples of real patients. Uh, I don't know where he got his videos from, but I thought that was pretty good. And uh, then I started interviewing for psych associate positions. Then people started spreading word around the hospital telling me to apply for this position. My coworkers, uh, this lady, she was, oh, what was her name, Father? She was so quiet. She was petite. There was two quiet ladies that were in the back of our meetings, our staff meetings every morning. She was one of them. She was real quiet. She's the one we were walking one day. Super skinny lady. Oh, it'll come to me if it's supposed to. She's white. She had dark hair with a little bit of gray in it. Maybe 50, but I think maybe 48, 49, somewhere around there. Real sweetheart. I mean, we're talking real skinny, like stick thin skinny. She said, Erin, if you have a master's degree, you need to be applying for psych associate positions. I said, well, what is that? She goes, it's essentially the same thing that we all do, but you get paid more money to do it. I said, really? She goes, yeah, we all do pretty much the same thing here. So I was like, well, I want to be paid more. <laughs> I have a master's degree. Why not be paid for the level of education that I bring to the table? So I started looking for psych associate positions. They didn't have any at that time open at the hospital, but they did have one open at a prison nearby. And you had to take a ferry to get there. And I interviewed. And it was a very hard interview process. I had to write an essay to be a psych associate. It was a timed essay. I was like, holy moly. They wanted... They wanted to see your cognitive skills. I didn't get any feedback, and I didn't get the job. It was a waste of time. But I learned, and I told my boss, I said, I don't want to leave here, but I don't have the money to pay all my bills right now. So I'm going to have to get a second job or a different job that pays me more. She goes, I understand. We have a lot of turnover because of that, because we don't have the salaries allocated for our budgets to pay. She said, I don't want to lose you, but I understand. Thank you for being honest with me. I said, I will always be honest with you because that's how I am. She goes, I like it. That's good. So an opening came in one of the other halls in our hospital in the, it was like the higher lockdown area. I forget what they called it. But um, that one had security people inside that you had to show a badge. You had to tell them exactly who you were meeting and what the meeting was about. And then they brought that person to you, and then that person escorted you. It was very high level. That was for high crimes that were still in process of being tried and like they had killed people, right? Or they had raped people or whatever, and they were arrested. They got caught in the act, right? Um, I interviewed to be a psych associate over there with the team. I didn't meet any of those patients or anything like that, uh, I, but I did interview in that hall. And I didn't have 
I didn't have a license in psychotherapy. I had a master's degree in exercise and sports psych, and I had applied for PhD program in clinical psychology, but I was denied access because I didn't have enough research experiences in the middle of doing research funded through our government. It was what it was. There's too many people in, in schools. There's too many people everywhere. So that's why the pandemic, right? That, that was back in 2016 and uh, early 2017. So didn't I don't remember getting any feedback, but I ate lunch with my colleagues every day. We talked. We had conversations. And Laura... Do I say her last name, Father? Laura Myers, veteran spouse, her husband, high-ranking officer of the, uh, I think, U.S. Army. I never asked what he did because I didn't really care, but I knew. She's a smart lady, and we talked. Everybody talked, right? We had a great culture. She said she had gotten an offer from Dr. Brian Hill to provide one-on-one therapies outside of our jobs during our chart notes time in the afternoon because we were all given I think an hour an hour and a half in the afternoons to chart our notes which is required by law um, every month we're supposed to submit and then they that was how they paid us chart notes for the patients right proving what we were doing with the patients and providing the treatment and uh, she said I just don't have time I got teenagers I got a lot of responsibilities So I said, so you're not going to do the one-on-one therapy? She goes, nah, that was the feedback I got. She said, I asked for feedback when I didn't get the psych associate job. We interviewed for the same position over in that high-risk call. And uh, she had a a master's in music therapy, but they don't really respect that degree in psych hospitals. They should, but they didn't. And uh, they told her the feedback was they wanted her to have more one-on-one therapy experience. Well, it's kind of limiting when your contract states that you were co-facilitating group therapy so he offered her a way to add value to her resume and she said nope I'm too busy so I said well if he offered it to her then I'm going to see if he's offering it to everybody (laughs) and uh, I went up to him and I said hey I talked to Laura he's like yeah and uh, he was a psychologist for uh, I think S8 ward if I'm remembering correctly it's been a few years and uh, I said I heard her say that you were willing to offer one-on-one coaching help for us. Uh, well, for her specifically, for helping her get the psych associate position. He said, yeah. I said, well, I'm also trying to get the psych associate position somewhere. I don't care where in the hospital. Um, I said, I think it would be a win-win for both of us. Uh, I would be able to take some responsibilities off your plate. I said, I'm very good at very getting very quick at my job. And... Uh, I'm a very fast typer. So if there's an extra need, I'd love to help. And I think it would add um, experience to my resume that I need. According to her feedback she got from her interview team, I, didn't, I said I didn't get any feedback. And uh, I'd, like, I'd like to be able to, in the future, if there's an opening for a psych associate position again, I'd like to be able to say, yeah, I'm providing one-on-one treatment as well as group therapy. And... Um, I said, I created this Move Happy program. He goes, yeah, I heard about it. I said, you did? He goes, oh, yeah, the pay- everybody's talking about it. I said, really? He goes, yeah, Aaron, you created something that's unheard of. And the patients are talking about it to each other. That is good. Work of, word, of, uh, word of mouth marketing. 
He said, I'd be glad to help you. Let's do this. Let's schedule a time where I'll interview you. Uh, email me your current resume and uh, a letter proposal of being a part of the uh, providing the treatment. And you and I will meet weekly to discuss. I said, how many patients, like, what's the time frame do you have? Like, how, how bad is the situation for you? He said, I have 10 minutes per week per patient. And then I have to go to court for them. I said, 10 minutes? How can you go to court on someone's behalf? The system isn't set up for success. He goes, I know. I know that. So you would be helping me a lot. Because if you take a couple of my patients off your plate, off my plate, then that gives me a few more minutes with the rest of them. And then you and I meeting would supplement that time where you'd give me the need to know information. I said, awesome. Okay, great. He said, so in your letter, I want you to write your style of therapy modality that you have a preference towards leaning towards. I said, well, I'm mixed modality. He said, that's fine. Write that in the letter. What do you know about psychotherapy? So I included all of the different psychotherapies I've been exposed to, had training in through my experience working with the U.S. Army Air Force, through graduate school classes, and through teaching the schools, and all the classes I studied and whatnot. And so we came up with a plan. I worked with two patients. And uh, he said, I love I love what you're doing. I love the positive psychology, and I, and I know. He said, I'm a firm believer in walking therapy. It's, it's in the research. He had um, earned his Ph.D. while working full-time as a first responder. It took him a long time to get his degree, his Ph.D., because he did it while also being a parent. Very smart person. Person of color. Didn't discriminate against us women. He treated us with respect, and he offered to help us ladies. And um, I loved that. That was so cool. I stayed connected with him. And he's actually one of my board members right now. I don't know how long he'll be a part of the board uh, because I haven't been able to communicate with him at all. Because this, this a-hole contest with all these a-holes, they illegally, they forced him to put a fake mental health diagnosis in my permanent medical record. They told him I was suicidal. Because they messed up so bad and told me way too much information, Biden's team. Loose lips, poor leadership. They forced a young person, brand new in his position, to try and get me to commit treason for them and use me as a spy. Because men repeat. They don't have personal relationships with the father. They repeat patterns of the past. And they tried their best to use me as a spy against Trump and his team. But uh, they trained me the best. They provided me more value. And... I'm no traitor to America. Sorry. I care about women and children and elderly populations in the pandemic. Not a good idea. And uh, he trained me to know exactly what to expect. My hero of 2020 became my husband last year. What's that, Father? Okay. I told Dr. Brian Hill to call my husband. I gave him that information. So if he's called him... He's explained everything to him because I haven't heard from him in the last few months since I asked him on the phone when he called me out of the blue. And I said, hey, this phone, is, phone call isn't being recorded, is it? He laughed and then he said, hey, you know what? I actually have to go. Everybody's getting caught in their lies, their webs of lies. 
and my family is going to be very rich. Dr. Brian Hill, very good man. But money talks. And wherever the money flows, there is no judgment. Money is the truth of who was bought out. A lot of people were paid. They paid over a billion with a B, as in boy, not M, as in Michael. Billion dollars to have somebody else win this contest. Last three years. And I've won it. I've more than won it. 52 alternative therapies I've created in my whole lifetime. New beginnings. <laughs> New beginnings. My final therapy that I created at that hospital was a group therapy program. I created it for the U.S. Marine veteran that was a part of my original Move Happy program that heard me talk about my dad dying, that opened up to our whole class about his wife dying. And it took nine years, and he was by her bedside every day. They were telling us during our psych meetings that he wasn't signing his discharge paperwork. They were afraid that he was delusional, that he had some extra money from the government but they were saying he didn't. The government was taking their sweet time getting him his money. He knew because he was having conversations with his buddies, I'm sure. And they were trying to push him out. They were trying to push him to get discharged. So I had a conversation with him. And I created a therapy to prepare him for transition. Life transitions back into society. And I upgraded the Life Transitions Program, which Sayaka used to teach, facilitate group therapy. I desired to upgrade all their programs because I loved working there. I had earned a promotion in the middle of all that. And for a week or two of teaching, facilitating that for the first time ever. And I started interviewing the interviewing process for a psych associate position after I did everything I could possibly to add as much value as possible. And I was just listening and I was obedient to people telling me I needed to apply for this position. It was going to be a thousand more dollars a month for me. And I had gotten engaged way too quickly that year for my fiance and I to help pay for our wedding plans. And then I earned the promotion. My boss told me no one in 30 years was ever even interviewed for this psych associate position in the hospital. She said, not only were you interviewed, but you got the job? Erin, I have to know, what in the world are you not capable of doing? And I said, I'm not the greatest cook. <laughs> I don't enjoy being in the kitchen. I don't. But that was mostly because mom kicked us out of the kitchen growing up. I did like baking, though. Baking was our fun time. And uh, we baked cookies for all the neighbors and all the drug dealers, right? You know, <laughs> all our neighbors growing up. I, I laugh, but that's the truth. And not all of them were drug dealers. Some of them were veterans and whatnot. I, was, I grew up in the hood, like the real hood. Nobody bothered us because when they were all in junior high, my mom and my dad were taking them all to church. They loved Jesus. Jesus comes to everywhere. Jesus comes to the hood. Jesus comes to the rich society, but a lot of the rich... They haven't acknowledged him for a long time, so they're going to be broke very soon. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. And if you're rich and you're generous, then you're probably loved and protected. So pray on it and ask the Father for repentance if you've been involved in any of the child abductions through your monies, even if you're not aware of it. Uh, these people are evil. 
and uh, it's nothing new. It's nothing new from the Father. New beginnings. So that year, that year I created five alternative therapies, three group, two one-on-one. Didn't get paid any extra for them. I did it for free because I desired to add more value, to heal my mind, to keep me focused on positive things, and then uh, earn a promotion, and then state legislators voted against it. So I'd earned it, and then I lost it after I worked it, and they tried to say that I never earned it. But the person that was a part of our research, our white paper research, she helped to protect my intellectual property. When I interviewed for the position, she said, Aaron, you created this journal, this Move Happy Journal? I said, yes, she, needs you. she said, you need to get it copyrighted. Protect your work. I said, oh, okay, thank you. They recognized my academic, um, I don't want to say excellence, that's not the word. They recognized and respected me as a professional, adding to the mental health space. She was the head of the psychology department. And it was my first year working in a psychiatric hospital setting. First year ever. That was my calling. The Holy Spirit had revealed my calling to me. Anywhere I go, he blesses it because I have a good attitude. I work hard. I'm coachable. And if I'm able to be creative, I work harder. I show up. I work extra for free. And the Lord blessed me with it. In 2018, he showed me my calling very clearly. He said, uh, you're going to be the person to help people in the world with depression. You're going to start your business. I had Affirm Queen was my business name when I first launched it. And uh, when I worked at the psych hospital. And I was uh, I had published self-published my book, Whole Life Affirmations. Uh, the Saturday following my dad's death, and I had gifted my boss, Sue, a copy of my book, and she had advertised it to all the staff in our meeting. I didn't ask her to. She did it because she was so glad that she had a published author on the team, and she was just, she's a mom. She was encouraging me, and her one verbal promotion to all my colleagues helped me pay my rent that month. That's real. That's real talk. And uh, I had to leave the hospital because they, they, uh, the legislators that didn't work at our hospital that had nothing to do with psychiatric treatment, they, after I earned a promotion and trained for the job, they voted against mental health. And 60 people lost their jobs that day. And the hall that they were building completely got halted. And I went back to my original position, only I wasn't engaged anymore. My partner couldn't stand the fact. Say his name? Paul. He could not stand the fact that I had lost a promotion. It wasn't in my control. It wasn't in my control. He had gotten violent with me one time. That's all it took. I was trying my best to move out, but I was beyond broke. I didn't know anything about shelters and none of that stuff. I guess I sort of kind of knew about safe housing, but I wasn't trying to get into a safe house while working full time. I was like, I don't have time for all this. All the stress hit me all at once. And the CEO wanted to meet with me. I had emailed the CEO saying, I know a way we can add revenue to the hospital through my program that I created. I'd like to sit down and, and meet with you and discuss it. 
she scheduled an appointment with me. Only I had waited like three or four months for this rash that had grown on the back of my thigh. And my the charge nurse, Rachel, that worked on our ward, she said, Aaron, you need to get that checked out. That could be something from the patients. The diseases that come from these patients, it could leak through your genes. I said, it could? She had a lot of fear in her. It wasn't real, but her husband was dealing with cancer. She was she was needing to be extra clean and everything because of his medical treatments. And so her mind was focused on that, I think. And so I had this appointment um, for a few months with the dermatologist to get a biopsy done of this scary rash that had turned black on my skin. My mom was scared when I showed her. That was what made me schedule the appointment because <laughs> I was ignoring taking care of myself by just showing up to work. I was, I was beyond stressed. That's the reality of it. But I'm a hard worker. I'm not a quitter. I'm an extremely resilient person. I've had to be my whole life. And the CEO, I thought was emailing me, but I quickly learned it was her assistant. Then they started asking questions about where did I create the program? Was it on work computers or my computer? So then I called my brother. I was like, I don't know what's going on, but here's what I think is going on. I might be, I might be acting crazy right now, but I created, I said, bro, I created five therapies. They earned, I earned a promotion. I just lost it. And now my ex or my fiance is like wanting to like call it quits. And I don't know what's going on. He said, you stop talking about your businesses. I said, what? He goes, stop talking about it. Tell them you've upgraded it. Leave the hospital. They, they are trying to steal your work. That's 100% what they're doing. Stop talking about it. Tell them nothing else, nothing further. Forget about it until you leave. You need to find a new job. That's exactly what's going on. He had already been blacklisted in the music industry after providing free value and was interviewed on the CNN. Yeah. Evil is everywhere. Evil and dark is everywhere. And the rich, they steal from the poor. It's nothing is new. But uh, ladies, make sure you marry up. And gentlemen, make sure you marry high-quality ladies. My husband married the best lady in the world. They tried to kill us last year. <laughs> Big fucking mistake. <laughs> new beginnings. So that was back in 2016 to 2017. And then I launched Move Happy officially. I changed business names from a firm queen to Move Happy because the Lord told me to. Showed me my three pillars, mindset, community, fitness. 18 months after my calling where the Holy Spirit revealed my life purpose to me and told me I was going to do annual events helping people with depression. We're going to start the first one in the U.S., and uh, there's going to be a variety of speakers, musical genres, <clears throat> and uh, different faith systems welcomed and whatnot, all with the intention to help empower people to find happiness from within. People with depression, very specific. It was a very clear and specific vision from the Father above. He's gifted me the gift of prophecy because he survived. He healed me completely of the, uh, the chains of depression. After 18 years of suffering in silence from being a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and uh, a variety of 
men that have sexualized me. Mike Sander, uh, I had known him since high school. He was one of the most inappropriate people when I became an adult person teaching in the school district. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed at what he said to me next to Matt during one of our trainings at the PEP grant. Women deal with it all the time. I've learned to ignore men, nasty men, my whole life. Didn't think I would have to hear it from that man because I had known him since I was 14 years old. But men are disgusting, and they get paid a lot more than us ladies. But that's about to change right quick. 28 days. 28 days. And my husband already knows all these stories. Ain't no secrets between he and I. And he's the top trained assassin of President Trump. (laughs) They underestimated me, a lady from the hood. I didn't marry him for his money. I didn't marry him for his power. I married him because he asked me to, because I fell in love with him. That's the truth. I told him, let's sign a prenup. So ain't nobody thinking nothing about me being a gold digger or saying nothing bad about me because I was caring too much about what people think. He said, okay, I know you're trustworthy because you told me that, but I'm going to make the decision. I'm the, I'm the man. I said, all right. So we got married. We didn't sign no prenups. So there are no prenups. He owns everything of mine and I own everything of his. Okay. <laughs> and uh, new beginnings. I'm going to see him. I haven't been able to see him or communicate to him at all in a year and a half. He had to lie to my face and told me he wanted a divorce because they had threatened a black female officer, warrant officer who served over 20 years in the military. They threatened her to disassociate from me otherwise. Otherwise, they would have disbarred her, taken her active duty status, and threatened her family. Black people have had to deal with a bunch of terrible things in America. That was in 2021. She was forced to separate, disassociate from me. After the top security man of Biden's team had taken me on a fake date. And she helped me pick the dress out. Yeah, he was a married man. Why? It was a married man paid over a million dollars to take me on a fake date. To then ask me to suck his penis in public. Meanwhile, they've blocked me from making money. They paid him over 800 acres. And they're forcing many of our soldiers, airmen, seamen, To die in Ukraine. For what? So they can turn America into land of prostitutes. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. We are draining the swamp. We are getting rid of all of these evil people that pretend like they're patriots. That don't care about America. All they care about is their foul wallets. Internet will be shut down in November and you will find out quickly who the true patriots are. And who really needs mental health support? There's going to be a lot of crime. There's going to be a lot of murders. There's going to be a lot of rapes. There's going to be all kinds of things. People are going to be screaming out and crying for a leader. Because Biden is no leader. He's worse than Hitler. I don't even think he's alive anymore. I think they killed him a long time ago and they've created a body double. That's the intel I have from uh, very right-winged people. They forced me to pick sides. They forced me because I I either was going to have my reputation ruined on one side or forced into marriage on the other. That's the polarization of our American government leaders. But it is what it is. 
Nobody forces Aaron Nicole to do nothing. I grew up in the hood. I don't care if you kill me. Shoot me. Just try it. I'm a child of the Most High King. And my husband knew it, and he loved. He loved that I wouldn't be bought out, and he loved that I wasn't going to just let him just walk all over me and sign me up for marriage after a week of barely knowing his ass. No. I made him wait a year. Men love the chase. And he got to truly get to know me better through my content, my stories, and me just be myself and executing free concerts for veterans and first responders because the Holy Spirit told me to in 2021, even though they were committing espionage, even though they were hacking into my devices, even though all these nasty people (sighs) were lying about me and getting paid a lot of money to do it. I kept it moving. I, I didn't focus on my competition. What's that, Father? No way. That's too many. Really? 47 times my closest competitor in this contest has been hospitalized. 47 times in the last three years. How is that possible, Father? Weekend retreats, he says. Wow. They, and they've managed her social media account to make it look like she's still working. And they've had people message people pretending to be her. Don't trust what you see online. Don't trust it. Trust people that ain't got nothing to lose. That are bold. And uh, I'm a visionary person, so I speak things. That's what leaders do. They are visionary people. And that's what Trump is. President Trump is a visionary leader. So you have to understand that people that are leaders, true leaders, not communists, true leaders, you have to get your people to believe in something that does not actually exist yet so you have to speak things into existence so it might not actually come to fruition a hundred percent of how you envision it it's going to come out better if you allow the lord to be the leader of your life and you keep him first place and you spend time with the lord praying meditating throughout the day not just on sundays or saturdays throughout the day every day all day in all things Allow him to lead your life in everything, even on the toilet. Let's be real. Everywhere. Everywhere. He will reveal things to you. He reveals things to those who are humble and who choose love. The world loves to complicate things. The Lord sent his son to simplify everything for us. And all of the leaders of that time, the religious leaders, were trying to trip him up. Because they were threatened by his supernatural gifts and powers. He was healing people. He was providing people with real, true healing from the Father. And he said, they asked him, out of all the Ten Commandments, what are the most important? And Jesus spoke. The number one most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, if you don't like yourself because the depression, the spiritual warfare attacks are telling you in your mind that you're not worthy, that you're not good enough, you always make mistakes, all those lies that the enemy likes to tell people that are more creative, honestly, more, if you are more creative, if you're a musical person, you are more inclined, a poet or a singer, you're the number one uh, most likely at risk for depression, suicidal ideations. I studied the research so that I'd be knowledgeable because I got my clear assignment in 2018. I got my clear assignment. 
And you can have a new beginning every single day. Every single day. He gives us new mercies every day. That means we need to give other people mercy that they don't deserve. That's why that man that was paid over 800 acres, I'm going to forgive him. He's going to be in that meeting as well as the U.S. Marine veteran that was a part of my original Move Happy program that knows Dr. Brian Hill. Yeah. He's going to be in that meeting because over 18,250 men and five ladies were paid to damage my reputation and slander my name in the last three years of this contest. And the team has been watching all the money. There was people in my circle that I thought would be in my circle forever. They've even, I believe, they paid to have my aunt and my uncle get flown to Italy. I've seen her look at my profile a few times, but she hasn't called me in three years. And her daughter, Renee, was the one that I called and asked for emergency help in 2020. And she said, Aaron, I've got kids i got to think about. So I believe they told her a fake story to cover it up because my cousin Renee has never called me to check in on me. What happened to me was very scary, and it can happen to anybody in America with the poor leadership we have that has been bought out from the deep state. But the military, we had the best military in the world. So they had to allow the losers to get in power, to drain the swamp, to prove to America how bad it could get. How terrible America could get, get. That is what they turned Ukraine into, was a land of prostitution. Starting with young children. Young boys and young girls forcing them into sex slavery making it the norm, making it acceptable. Putin don't want nothing to do with that. Hell no. I believe he loves God, but I don't know him too well. I would love to sing for him, though, one day. I think that would be really cool. He's not, he's not an evil person. He's done some pretty tough things. Anybody would that runs a whole nation. That ain't my job. I ain't, I ain't here to judge him. I don't have that capacity. I don't. The Lord has assigned me to be responsible for 1.56 billion people in the world with depression. I have a bigger capacity than to run one nation. Yeah. My responsibility is to help keep these leaders accountable for mental health, for all the citizens that were on purpose forced into fear for a whole year and told mixed information, causing confusion. Confusion is not of the Father. The Father is the creator of all of us. I don't care what you believe in. I don't care what you believe in. If you are harming people on purpose, you are evil. That is your choice. The Father doesn't like people that harm others on purpose unless he has assigned you to harm these people. Everybody will have to meet their maker on their last day, and none of us know what that last day is. I choose love. I've chosen it my whole life. And all of my rights, all of my American citizen rights have been stolen for the last three years. And they have watched it. They have watched how bad this group can be. And imagine what happened to my middle brother. Nobody was looking out for him. He had to deal with these evil people by himself. But I don't let nobody harass my family and get away with it. So I let my hero know about what happened to him. I said, they've been after my family for a long time. 
I wasn't surprised about any of the things that happened to my tech. Some of it threw me for a loop, but I just kept it moving forward. I didn't want to learn Androids, but I had to learn. I had to learn multiple devices because they kept hacking into my devices and were harassing me and bullying me and sending terrible FBI agents to my places of work, stalking me, being extra creepy and terrible actors. I received the best training in the world from the top security man of President Trump. And the Biden's team way underestimated me. Way underestimated me. I'm very quick at learning wherever I go. Because I care about being a good person. And not just a good person, but a person that if I were to die tonight, if it was my last day, that everybody I had come in contact with would say, she was nice to everybody. She was loving and kind to everybody she met. There isn't a soul that she wasn't nice to. Now, I've been tested beyond what anybody in the world has ever been tested on. Psychological torture. The last three years, it's been the worst contest of my life. Absolute worst. It's been hell. A lot of people that were a part of it, they ain't going to make it. It is what it is. That's reality. The Lord has allowed you to do these terrible things to me for three years. And he fights my battles for me. I've been trained into this warrior. I wasn't allowed to join the military because I wasn't going to lie on the paperwork and say that I didn't have asthma and say that I didn't have depression. I'm an honest person. I do not lie, cheat, or steal, and I don't associate with those who do. I don't know who created that saying, but I like it, and I agree with it. I won't even do little white lies. The only time I lied was to protect my husband, which was my assignment from the Lord, or to keep myself alive. Only two times. Any other wife would do the same thing. Any other husband would do the same thing for his wife. And that's what my husband had to do. He had to lie to me and tell me that he wanted a divorce last year. Because he didn't know who to trust. But he saw in my eyes when, I, when he said, why do you still want to be married to me? I said, we made a commitment to each other. He knew. And he looked into my eyes. He has spiritual gifts. And the father speaks to him. And I bet the father said, you need to protect your wife. And so he had to do a terrible thing and lie to me and, to, and force me to get kicked out of our house. We just got married. 19 days of marriage on Easter Sunday. I had to leave. Worst three years of my life. He's helped me. Zero dollars. Even when we got married, zero dollars. He called his buddies and asked them to help me get a job and they wouldn't hire me. I don't think he really called them. I think a bunch of liars in our government. I don't know. I don't know. But I trust my husband. His buddies, some of them, are not going to be in the group much longer. Because they've traced everybody. They've traced anybody. And that's what he told me. Anybody could be bought out. New beginnings. Anybody could be bought out at any point in time. Anybody can lose their loyalty to America or to their native nation. Money talks. That's why he didn't want me to have access to money. He said, I've seen it. I've seen money transform people into terrible human beings. I said... I don't need a lot of money, but I know I've been broke my whole life, and that's not good. I can't help a lot of people unless I have money, some money. I have to have money to cover my bills. I've been forced into slavery my whole life. I've had to work extra hard. I should be way further along. There's a bunch of people that have been bought out and sold 
our information and profited off of our information. In the last three years, they traced it all, all the thieves that stole from me and stole from my network. I was going to gift $15 million, my first EP I was going to sell. I made one post about it on LinkedIn. I had four interested buyers. One of them wanted to pay, invest $100,000. I said, you're going to have to call nine friends and get that money and then reach back out to me. Don't waste my time. I knew my value and I knew the price point of the music. I wasn't going to keep a penny of it. I was going to gift it to all of the guests that showed up for our concerts and the guest musicians. I sent out surveys. I sent out emails to everybody that was involved in it, including the top security man that was paid over 800 acres because he was involved in helping protect me in 2020, but he pretended like he wasn't. So I made sure he could see that I was going to send him. I think it was $70,000 was going to be his breakdown. Yeah. He and his buddies made sure that text message got erased, I'm sure. But what they didn't know was that all of their activities were being traced. I'm a very smart, very smart lady. My husband married a very intelligent woman. And, uh, he told me he'd be a good spy for America. No one's paid me yet, so that will be included in my pay. Tax-free. That's how you do it, ladies. Tax-free. <laughs> and uh, new beginnings. New beginnings are everywhere. I don't desire to keep the money all to myself. When you are generous with others, more will be given unto you. So... Mark my words, if people, after we sign contracts, stop stealing from me, then I can actually make some hard cash. And then I can be generous with others. But I've been forced in fear. This stupid contest, they've tried to kill me. How many times, Father? Like 45 times? Oh, no, that's how many times she was hospitalized. How many times have they tried to kill me since 2018? 37? Holy moly. The plans of the enemy are foiled. You need to respect your elders. You need to respect people with disabilities. You're supposed to. Laws are supposed to protect the vulnerable. The last three years, no one has been held accountable for any laws that are broken against the poor that were impacted, the middle class that was impacted from the pandemic. There's going to be a lot of rich people that they're not going to be rich much further. They're going to be poor. They're going to be begging for assistance. And then it's up to the middle class people that are going to be rich to decide whether or not they're going to help or have them sign up for social work programs, force them to sleep in their trucks, in their cars. War is coming very soon. That's what my husband told me when I first met him, when we were just friends and he was assigned to protect me. We were strangers. He was homeless, but he wasn't helpless. I had no idea who I was getting protections from. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I received protections from him. Beyond grateful. I don't even have words to say. I miss him. I 
I miss him like beyond what I ever thought I would ever miss somebody. Because I've been disrespected from men my whole life. And the only reason why he disrespected me was because they were going to kill us both. So he had to lie to my face after we just got married. And he asked to retire. Biden is an evil communist. And his team, they will never be tried for any crimes in America. That's the Blackwater for you. Blackwater Alumni Group. But, uh, that doesn't mean that people in the group won't off them all for trying to harm me. Yeah, in private. I don't need to know anything of what they do. Off the books. The Lord already told me anybody that was involved in trying to have me killed, 14,407, I believe, were paid to have me killed. Paid a lot of money. They won't be alive much longer. The Lord knows who all of you are. Just one of his angels destroyed 125,000 men in the Old Testament. And I, that's just one of the angels of the Lord. And I have over a million two hundred and fifty thousand angels guarding and protecting me. In addition to my warriors of light, human beings, trained in weaponry, military, tactics. I didn't get some mediocre training. I got the best of the best. And this is a very long episode. I just saw how long I've been talking nonstop because that's the Holy Spirit speaking through me. I lost all track of time. This is going to be a lot of information for some of you to digest what I have experienced. And this is only the beginning of what I'll release. I release what I'm allowed to release and the team is allowed to edit anything that's not allowed. I trust them. I trust them because I was invited from the best military. The best true military. To be a part of their organization. They haven't paid me. But they're keeping me alive. So it's sort of a payment. It's kind of a barter. And uh, I know they're setting up a meeting for me to be reunited with my husband. And for contracts to be signed. And for releasing all of these January 6th people that have been falsely arrested in America. From all the communists that have been taken over America. Anything else, Father, on New Beginnings? Okay, he wants me to speak my vision for this year. Recibe. He gifted me my vision in multiple languages. Recibe means received. Trancuter Televisio, to interrupt TV. Renugas, popular permissiones. Resign, popular permissions. Celubes, celibacy. Fracturize, amontonga, fracture, amount. Structurize, telefontaine, structure, the phone guy. A lot of people that have been stolen from, from people from overseas that have been allowed to have access to our private information from all the major telephone companies. <clears throat> they will be 
paying a lot of our citizens back for all the debts they have caused, for all the identity theft they've caused. As young as brand new babies, they've stolen our identities. And the Lord don't like his children being stolen from. And your identity can be restored from the Lord above all lords. And President Trump loves Jesus. He loves the Father. He was asked from the military to drain the swamp. Whether you like it or not, sure he's got a past. Everybody's got a past. But guess what? We all have a future, so don't focus on the past. You can't change nothing from the past. Focus on how you're going to make the future better. Don't try to change our history or cover up the truth. Ain't nobody believing that. Change in our history books. We heard rumors about Russian history books being changed from real Russians that live here in America. And they're, you're doing the same thing to American citizens. Ain't nobody buying it. So just leave the past, the truth. Leave it. Leave it. It's not going to make you look any better when you change it. That's when we know. We don't trust you. So listen to a real citizen. I ain't got nothing. I'll bring you the truth. Listen to real citizens, real stories, real science, real life stories to help you be empowered to find happiness your own thing. Get plugged in to movement every day, music, get creative every day, 10 minutes of whatever it is that you enjoy doing. And if you're not sure, try different things. Crafts, arts and crafts are good. Jewelry making, nail painting, makeup, face painting, those little mandala drawings, coloring, uh, reading, serving others, volunteering. These are all good things. All good things. Anything else, Father? He says, wrap it up with some sass. If you desire, if you desire to have a personal relationship with the Holy Trinity, and you're not sure if you have it yet, or you know for a fact you don't, it's a free gift. Repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this gift of salvation. I can't earn it or buy it. You give it freely to those who believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. I know that I am a sinner, but I don't desire to keep on making mistakes. Please, Father, come into my heart and never leave my side. I'll pray this in your heavenly name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, we want to welcome you to the family. Your next step is to get plugged into a Bible-based church in person, not online, because the Internet's going to get shut down. You need to start telling people in the church your friends, family, small groups, tell them that the internet's going to get shut down on or around November 17th. They might change the dates around because I have a lot of spies in my tech and people in war times will change things up to try and trip you up and make you look like you're a fool. And uh, prepare for that. Expect that. They've been testing it. I've talked to a lot of veteran spouses that are in the military right now and they talk from their husbands. They have conversations with them. We look out for each other. And I want to help you, protect you. So tell your friends in the churches. Internet's going to get shut down. That means all phone lines are not going to work. Landlines and cell phones. That means banks are going to be shut down. They've already shut down in Nigeria. They're already testing it in other countries. The truth is out there. If the internet's shut down, then nobody can tell any other nations that it's happening, right? But somehow, somebody was able to share that footage, the truth. So 
War is coming. Civil War. World War Three is coming very soon. And they tried their best to cause civil war in America because a lot of people were bought out. A lot of people were paid a lot of money to profit off the poor. And they're abducting and sexualizing children and sacrificing them in private. And they tried to cover up their truth, the Epstein Island nastiness. But we're going to put all those bad guys away in other islands and we're not going to pay for them to be fed. They're going to have to figure it out. Despicable humans. Poor choices. The Lord told me not to cry for any of you that die, that have harmed children of the world. It is what it is. <sighs> and, he, and he asked, Father, okay, he said, I would like you to send me nice clothing for this meeting. I would like really nice clothing. I'm like probably like a size, I would say like an eight, maybe six, unless it's like a Chinese or Taiwanese size, then I'm probably like a 12. <laughs> you know how tiny they are. Um, I look good in royal blues. I'm open to wearing purple. I am open. I'm not a huge fashionista, but I would like something very special for this meeting. I haven't seen my mother since 2020 because they forced me into homelessness multiple times and they blocked me from making money in America. They blocked me from having access to my family and basic human rights. And I would like to wear a very nice outfit. I want a few options mailed to my mailing address in the next three days overnight. It. I don't care how much you pay. And matching shoes. I wear a seven and a half. Sometimes eight. Mail me lots of brand new. Brand new. Very fancy. Nice outfits. If my shoulders are showing, then I need a shawl or I need a nice sweater to go with it. Because this is going to be a classy meeting. We're going to be taking photos. And if I'm the chief spiritual officer of America... And I'm representing modesty for ladies and for young ladies. So make sure my shoulders are covered up. Think about that. And if you desire for me to wear any certain jewelry, then mail it. I like to keep things simple. I have jewelry from my family memories. But this is a very special meeting that's going to be posted and sent everywhere in the world on October 17th before the internet gets shut down. So... Mail me a nice outfit. That's what the father asked. What's that, father? He says Chanel. Versace. Gucci. Anything else? Burberry. Those are the four brands. Talk amongst your rich friends. Mail me very nice outfits. Anything else, father? No? He said, nope, sing your song. All right. Don't forget to tell someone you love them today. And we'll see you next time.